So, Josh, this week we went with some childhood favorites that might not be the best movies, but I think we both love these. Wait, is this how we're starting? No, no intro? That was the intro, me blowing out the pants, <laughs> the crotch in my pants. That was the intro. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> it's perfect. What, what do, you, do you want me to ask you how your day is going or something? <clears throat> no, because nothing's happened so far. I walked the dog. That's not interesting. Well, Thrice stone crotch is well, much better. Quit playing with your yo-yo and let's get to podcasting. Because <laughs> walk the dog is also a yo-yo trick. Yes, I got that. <laughs> I used to be good at that too. Oh, I was a yo-yo kid, but because it was in the '90s when all of a sudden yo-yos popped back up and there was yo-yo yeah. kiosks in every mall and stuff, and I got so frustrated to start with it because I was doing the you hold your hand parallel to the ground like you see in cartoons and just drop it and it doesn't mm -hmm. work at all and my dad's like you have to go back in you gotta snap it down and i was so pissed off at it i hated it until i got it <laughs> and i was really into him were were you one of the guys like me like i would take my yo-yo to school and like yo-yo down the hall be oh, doing yeah. the yo-yo oh yeah until they banned yo-yos because yes. kids were doing around the world and giving each other black eyes and stuff <laughs> especially <laughs> when like titanium yo-yos came out and we were all swinging around 16 ounces of hard metal did you have pogs did you play pogs oh yeah this has been like a in my other friend group it's been a, a big thing recently talking about pogs were they called pogs or milk caps because uh, that was another term for them in san diego we called them pogs okay that's there's a uh a whole like pog collectors uh circle apparently that is going around because i had a, a friend here who went and picked some up from the local comic shop some of the most intense times in my life were playing pogs in in the <laughs> schoolyard uh-huh because did you play no i just collected them i didn't have enough friends uh in the middle of Indiana to, to play with them. Gotcha. So you had your standard pogs, but then did you collect slammers too? Yeah, yeah, the slammer. That was like the, the gold medal. That was the one time gold standard to go for. One time, it was like the most intense thing in the world. I remember instead of playing regular pogs, we played where you like put your slammer up on the line as a betting mm -hmm. thing. Holy shit, I've never... I, I, I don't gamble much at all. I, I'll take $100 <laughs> into a casino once every five years, and that's it. I remember my heart racing, playing for a $3 <laughs> plastic disc or however much they were, but to me, it was so much more than that back then. It's those, like racing for pink slips. Those got banned, too, because that was basically like, well, you guys are basically gambling. We can't have 11-year-olds, like playing dice games <laughs> gambling on the side right. of the courtyard or whatever so uh wallet chains those got banned um eh, pretty much everything cool got banned and for no reason really i had lived i went to a very quiet school yeah i think we had a bunch of things that were banned because they might be like gang related uh but you know i, I graduated in 97 so Things were a little different, and it was, like, out in the middle of the country. Uh, so there were people that, like, you couldn't take a, a blue bandana in your pocket, but they had gun racks with guns in them in, in their trucks that they would drive to school because they would go hunting before school. 
Yeah, but God forbid you have a red piece of cloth. Exactly. Uh, just a heads up. I don't think you're recording on Zencaster. Oh, I'm not. We got good the, eyes. We got the backup. Um, I don't know. How do you want to introduce this thing? I don't know. I think we're going pretty well. Okay. Well, I guess we're already here. Where are we going first? Yep. Pol Poltergeist or Tremors? It's your pick. Let's do Poltergeist first. Poltergeist. All right. So up first, we're talking about Poltergeist to the other side from 1986. This is directed by Brian Gibson, written by Michael Grace and Mark Victor, and starring Joe Beth Williams, Craig T. Nelson, Heather O'Rourke, and others, including Zelda Rubenstein. So, Josh, this yes. was this was your pick. So, I'd like to kind of let you start us off here. Why, why Poltergeist Two? It's been one of those that um, it, it was like stuck in my pre-critical uh, brain. Uh, definitely, the character of Kane, the old man, uh, was stuck in there, and. I think that in my memory, he was freakier than he actually is in the in the movie, although he does a pretty good job because he looks he's pretty good. He's kind of shocking looking. I don't know if they gave him dentures or if that's just his natural dentures. I don't know. But something about his teeth is real scary. Yeah. Um, and uh, towards the end of the film, when Craig T gets uh, possessed they start doing his teeth the same kind of way. Like they, they look dirty and almost like moldy or something. It's horrifying. Yeah. This movie goes real off the rails at the end. There. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we go, we go to some wild places in the last 15 minutes of this movie. Yeah. It, uh, it kind of feels like it's separate from the rest of it. Almost what, what it was building up to. Um, cause it just kind of goes buck wild, but the first one did too. Just in a different way. Um, so how old were you when you saw this? Oh, God. Let's see. When did it come out? 86. Okay. I probably saw it a couple years after because it would have been on uh, VHS at the time. Um, but it was, I remember it was an early one. My mom would always let me rent uh, horror movies, probably ill-advisedly, because uh, it was... You know, I was into the creepy stuff, so she, my, my parents were very laissez-faire when it came to actually monitoring what I was watching. You know, as long as it didn't give me nightmares that bothered them, uh, it, it was fine, I think. Yeah, I, I don't recall really having much restraint. I think we talked about in episode zero, I watched Terminator 2 a lot on VHS and stuff, and, mm -hmm. um... Yeah, I think my parents were very American of, like, violence is fine, just don't let them see any boobs, basically. Yes. And that was kind of the only rule, I feel like. Although, uh, the opening of uh, Lethal Weapon tests that, because there's a suicide by a naked woman, and you see, like, full frontal almost immediately. Uh, and Lethal Weapon and Die Hard were our Christmas movies, my mom and I's Christmas movies that we would watch a lot. So, uh even that kind of got pushed to the side if the movie was good enough. Plus, you well, saw Mel Gibson's butt, so it was kind of like equal equal opportunity nudity in that one. There's quick boobs in Die Hard, too. Oh, yeah, there's on the poster. The, the poster on the wall. Yep. Hey, girls. <laughs> I can't. How's it going, lady? I can't. 
Oh boy. Let's not do a Bruce Willis yet. It's too early. Uh, yeah, you gotta gotta really rasp up those vocal yeah. cords first. So we recently watched Poltergeist One again for uh, Gordian Rust podcast, and yes. I love that movie. It's so much fun. I have a huge crush on um, the mom, uh, Jill Beth Williams. Jill Beth Williams. In that, oh man, yeah, a uh, huge crush on her in that movie, and um, really enjoy it i remember as a kid it's like one of the first times i ever got left home alone my mom was taking my sisters who were pretty fairly older than me to go set up gym memberships i don't know why i remember this at frog's gym and uh i was home alone with the dogs and my mom set the alarm and god help me i don't know why i decided that was a good time to watch poltergeist and i think i had <laughs> seen it before parts of it i don't remember but it was like, it was it was the scene, it was either the first scare where, um, I can't think of the girl's name, um, oh, I'm blanking on the little girl's name. She gets sucked into the vortex in the closet. It was either that scene or it was later when the kid's in bed and then the clown attacks him. But it was during that moment the house alarm went off. Okay. And I was petrified. And so first thing I did was turn the alarm off. Why? I don't know. That That's the point of the alarm is that it keeps going. Right. But now I turned it off and it said it was a window upstairs at my parents' bedroom. So nope. I, I, I got our golden retriever with me. I'm like 10 or 11 years old, scared out of my mind. So I got the, uh, the dog by the collar and we like slowly crept up the stairs. I'm so scared and this movie has freaked me out. We finally get up there and I... Slowly, I poke open the door, and the wind had just blown a screen down. <laughs> but my my heart, my heart was racing. You think it was the wind, at least. Yeah. It might have been a g -g -g ghost. Right. And so I also thought I had a memory from th that movie, and then I thought it was from this movie, of Zelda Rubenstein's death. But it's actually in the uh third one, which I don't remember where I saw that, but I just remember, like, her body looking like a rotting pumpkin and like mm -hmm. falling apart in pieces and then that person's like hand coming through it that i thought that was an i i knew that was poltergeist but i didn't know which right. movie but that image like haunted me that grossed me out so much yeah i would imagine that's i don't remember uh, i think the third one was like a uh, a cable staple the third when i was growing up third one takes place in like a high-rise tower or something I, I i don't know i was, I was yeah. reading a bit about it after i watched this movie yeah i remember the um there's a lot of mirror stuff in it and uh there's a swimming pool scene and somebody breaks through a mirror someplace else like they get lost in the swimming pool and break through a mirror um like teleportation kind of stuff that uh it's got a good tom scarrett performance i believe well yeah i mean he's viper he's good in everything <laughs> Uh, well, I think Tom Skerritt, I, I go Top Gun first, and then yes. I get that image of Tom Skerritt in my head, and then I can then disseminate that into all of his other roles. But, like, <laughs> Tom Skerritt in Top Gun, that's my Tom Skerritt anchor, and then I go from there. That's the seedling of that's, the Tom Skerritt tree. almost my Michael Ironside anchor, too, except it's Starship Troopers. Oh, okay. But for a while as a kid, I think when I saw Ironside, I thought Top Gun. Because he's, uh, he's Jester. Yes. 
Uh, I can totally see that. Also, Top Gun 2. I am so ready for that movie. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. The Seeing the trailer, um, I watched it before... What did I go see recently? Shit, I don't remember. Uh, uh, we, I, in the in the theater, I, like uh, actually on the big screen with the surround sound and everything, it was amazing. Yeah, um, I I'm so excited. That's definitely a must watch in theater for me. It looks incredible. Yeah, speaking of theater, I saw Army of the Dead, which mm-hmm. it was my first time in the theater, so I think I was going to enjoy anything regardless of what I saw. It's a pretty mediocre movie. Uh, right. Poorly shot, but there's some fun stuff in it. I don't know. I thought I thought it looked like shit, honestly. Um, yeah, that shallow focus uh, lens that he uses on there is no. Nope. It, it's insane. It's no good. It's no good. Yes. Yeah. So, but there was some fun stuff, and I love Garrett Dillahunt, and so, so there there's some good performances and. Mm-hmm. I went with my buddy, and just to be sitting next to my buddy eating popcorn in a theater with three no one other person in the theater with us for that one uh it was awesome and then after that i saw wrath of man the jason statham movie which Mm -hmm. was um it was good it was solid it was better than most of the jason statham schlock um definitely toned down for a guy Ritchie movie because he didn't write it he just directed it um i enjoyed it more than i enjoyed the gentleman i did not like the gentleman at all oh really uh, it's like I, I feel like Guy Ritchie could get away with being so juvenile and racist and homophobic with his jokes back in like the late 90s, especially when he was right. younger. But in The Gentleman, he's still just relying on racist jokes and stuff. But it's like, oh, but it's okay because these characters are bad guys. But I'm like, yeah, but Guy Ritchie, it's the only joke you know how to write. It's still just right. racist punchlines. Like, I, it, it just didn't do it for me, man. That's, I'm debating on going and seeing the new Conjuring. Uh, that's I watched the the first two of the. I guess I didn't realize that the whole Conjuring verse includes the Annabelle movies and the Nun, um, and all that stuff too. I thought someone uh, just corrected me. I thought it included Insidious as well. Yeah, I can't keep track of. But this it's thing. not. It, it, it's an unwieldy beast for me. The Conjuring franchise. I can't. I can't tackle it. Well, and I think for a while I thought Sinister was was in there, or Sinister and Insidious were the same thing, um, but they're all separate properties apparently. But the the thing that I I've, I've really noticed watching those first two Conjuring movies is compared to Tremors and Poltergeist, these movies were really fun. Like they're wacky and kind of out there, and I feel like the Conjuring movies take themselves pretty seriously. And I just don't have the same kind of wackiness. And these both were so wacky and especially I think Craig T. Nelson and Fred Ward and both of these movies know what kind of movie they're in. Mm -hmm. And so they're hamming it up a bit. Uh, These are so much fun, man. I can't wait. Can we get into Poltergeist 2? Yeah, let's do. I got a quick recap for the first movie. If people didn't haven't watched it recently or haven't yeah, seen please, it, please, please. Um, there's some shady developers that uh, Craig T. Nelson works for, and they build a new subdivision on top of an old cemetery. 
The dead folks in the cemetery don't like that, so they haunt the shit out of Craig T. Nelson's family, which is known as the Freeling family. Uh, mostly, it's the mom and the two younger kids get the hauntings. Um, the dad gets his comeuppance in this one, <laughs> definitely. Uh, and the older daughter, played by uh, Dominique Dunn, is absent for most of the movie, and well, she shows up for a great scene. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, the mom probably just sent her home with one of the local construction workers, and uh, <laughs> that scene where she's being hit on by all the guys working construction on their property, and the mom is yes. just, like, laughing about it, that's crazy! Yeah, it's creepy as hell, like, <laughs> ugh, come on. But yes, and I love that, so that oldest daughter, she shows back up at the end of the first, and then what was... What was their line to write her completely out of this movie? Because she's non-existent in this. Yes. Uh, she was off off at college. I don't remember what the line is, but... Um, this would be... The... It'd be weird to have a 20-something-year-old kid in this movie. But also, she died in between the the movies. The actress did? Yes. Oh, I only knew that the youngest girl died after the third. Yes. I didn't know uh, that. Dominique... Oh, God. Yeah, she was uh, killed by her boyfriend. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, he choked her to death. He, he choked her, and then she went into a coma and uh, died a few days later. God, that's awful. Yeah, and then her dad, Dominic Dunn, wrote a whole, uh, I believe it was for, like, Vanity Fair article about, like, the trial and coming to terms with his daughter's death and everything. It's kind of a famous article about uh, grief in the American justice system. It's pretty good. Wow. Well, I, yeah, it, it's heavy as shit. Though. I don't think I'm in the mental space to tackle that right now, but no, give me a day or two. Uh, well, that sucks. But uh, back in the movie world, when she was still alive, the spirits take the youngest child, Carol Ann, that's her name, Thank you. played by Heather O'Rourke, uh, to the other side. Um, and that's where she is for the majority of the movie. She's eventually rescued by mom in a very gooey rescue scene. Uh, and then somehow the house ends up imploding in this really cool practical effect, like this mixture because they didn't have CG at the time. So there's this mixture of cool, like uh, there's a cloud tank effect going on in the clouds and the house, like light is shooting out everywhere and it kind of implodes. And it's it's really cool. I have no idea how they actually did it. Imagine still imagine the Big Bang, but in reverse. And that's basically yes. what happens to the house. It, it, it just so, collapses, it collapses so into cool. a single point of light and then is gone. It's one of those things that, like, now you would watch it in a modern movie and you'd be like, oh, well, it's, you know, CG. But then they actually had to do, like, physical objects moving around through space with cables pulling them and stuff. And I've, I'm just impressed at that still. Yeah, we have coming up some really cool matte paintings that I want to talk about in these two movies. Mm-hmm. A cool. lot of a lot of cool technology actually in both of these that I'm excited to get into. And uh, right off the top here, the creatures in this one were designed by H.R. Giger, which I did not realize until this watch through. In Poltergeist Two. Yes. Re- oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> well, right, I'm the only. I'm just thinking of. All right, there's like some random zombie looking things. And then there's mm-hmm. the monster that Craig T. Nelson births, which is yes. wild. We'll get to that. Um, huh. That's interesting because it's not 
I've seen enough of Giger's work to just kind of think he's just solely like biomechanical sex, basically. Like, everything is a phallus or a vagina, and everything has yes. tubes coming in and out of it. That's basically yeah. I have you I have alien, his I have his book the... uh, Necronomicon Two. It's a coffee table book, and it's great okay. to leave out on the coffee table and have an unsuspecting guest come over and flip open to a page where it's just a bunch of small paintings of keys and uh just like that you'd stick your key into locks and one's a vagina mm -hmm. lock and one's like a weird mouth butthole lock i don't know <laughs> so he was <laughs> hr was a, a unique guy huh <laughs> yes but um so yeah this movie starts with uh if you want to just get into it an yeah. awesome map painting this whole intro sequence with this uh, Native American guy named Taylor has some really cool effects going on, especially for that shot of the title card. Oh my god, that's mm -hmm. so cool looking. It, he's up on that tower, and he's out there doing a ritual in the fire, and it looks like he's on the ground. And then all of a sudden we see he's elevated, talking to his ancestor across the fire, and he's now up on this spire like he's teleported up there or something it's a really wild way to open this movie yeah i have no idea uh the combination of matte painting the clouds it's a technique called cloud tank where you actually put like salt water and then fresh water in because salt water is heavier it it sits down at the bottom the other water floats on top and then you inject a bunch of dyes and stuff into it really that's um, cool yeah there's some and really cool cloud shots later on in the movie too yeah all that stuff is cloud tank um and they use that a lot like spielberg used it a lot um in the indiana indiana jones movies uh ghostbusters but going back to like the ten commandments and stuff star trek used it a whole bunch in the original run um it's a, there's a really cool breakdown video on youtube that um i think pbs sponsored uh, showing how they make cloud tanks. It's really fun. Nice. If you're into that kind of thing. Uh, so this movie also starts with... Um, he's speaking in um, a Native American language. I don't know which one. And there's no mm -hmm. subtitles. And so I checked. Because one time, I might have been a bit inebriated. And this might not have been the most <laughs> legally obtained copy of Stargate. But I watched, okay. I watched 45 minutes of Stargate before I realized that I was missing the subtitles. So there was full-on <laughs> conversations happening in alien language. And I was saying, like, wow, this, like, this movie's so interesting. Like, the director's just expecting you to, like, infer your own story and kind of, like, make do with it just as, like, Kurt Russell and uh, Spade or whatever Spader are doing. Like, you're in yeah. a foreign world and so the audience of course we don't have subtitles because we don't understand just like the and then after a while i was like wait this is a lot of alien conversation there's got to be something missing here and of course yeah i never downloaded the subtitle files <laughs> so listeners of this show just know that's what you're dealing with with one of your hosts <laughs> i like that you had a thought process for why there weren't subtitles oh, i wanted to validate the movie <laughs> yeah Oh, that's also that's a great Kurt Russell movie. God, I haven't seen it in ages, but that was I haven't either. Uh, yeah. yeah. 
Um, so Josh, after this scene, uh, this is where, was this where there's a, a dead body that pops up? And I swear to God, there's a, a trout in its mouth? <laughs> right? There's, oh. some, there's, there's like a fish in this dead body's yeah. mouth in this movie. I, I had no idea what the hell that was. So they go, uh, Taylor goes back to the the subdivision from the first movie. And that's where he sees Zelda Rubenstein um, playing Tangina. Tangina, Which yeah. sound, it sounds like a, a variety of Clementine. For me, it sounds like a very refreshing drink. Yeah. Ooh, a nice Tangina. <laughs> On a hot day? Forget about it. <laughs> what? Basically, I'm just thinking of whatever that orange drink is that has pulp in it. Orange juice. <laughs> is that the one? <laughs> no. Orangina. Oh, my, Orangina, yeah. My ribs hurt. <laughs> oh, don't say that to me. That, you can't make me laugh that hard. Oh. So, oh, it's right in my floating rib. All right, hold on, I got to breathe through this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just pop oh, it. Okay, we're back. We're back. <laughs> yeah, Zelda Rubenstein. My God, talk about iconic character. I think she's mm -hmm. often the only thing that people remember from these movies. This house is clear. And all, the, all of yeah. her stuff, you know? And that's... Uh, I. She's one of those people, like, I want her to have been in a whole lot of other things and you know for as old as she was there's not a ton of them uh now for as long as she worked yeah i was for some reason i thought she died near the time of production but i believe she lived until close to 2010 or something like that uh, she she had a nice long life yeah yeah but she was in movies from 1979 on uh and definitely, I think, the Poltergeist movies and uh, Teen Witch. Oh, if you've ever seen Teen Witch. Teen Witch. I had, my <laughs> sisters were six and nine years older than me. And I swear to God, they don't, rem I swear they don't remember showing me this movie. But I remember the brother turning into a dog. You're a dog. You're a dog. <laughs> and then uh, top that. Remember when they're trying to yes. show off to like the cool guy and her friend? So top that, I, I like to do my homework and I like to say that I'm here to rap in a funky way. So top that. <laughs> yeah, that's we a did. good one. That's a, I haven't seen that in a long, that's like 25 years I haven't seen that movie. We actually did a, a screening of it um, about eight or nine years ago now. I worked with Robin Lively, who is in Teen Witch. Uh, I worked with her on a movie and... One of the nights uh, we hosted a screening of it at my friend's house and she came and did the Teen Witch rap, the top that with everybody. It was a great time and she was a great sport about it. Like she, you know, you could have sour grapes if you were remembered for an 80s movie called Teen Witch, but she was awesome. Yeah, I, I think it just depends on how easily you were able to let go of your aspirations of being a huge star. If you're yeah. cool with just being an occult thing and then that can be such a gratifying thing. But if you always regret that, like, I, I, I never hit it big or I, I missed that role to Nicole right. Kidman and I I was next in line behind Nicole, you know, you just got to let that stuff go. And because, man, how fun would it be to be in a cult movie like that, that people love and watch and enjoy and 
know all the words to. Oh yeah. That's it. It makes me really happy when people embrace and you see them at um, different festivals and in conventions, which I hope, you know, are coming back this year. <laughs> Actually, I'm scheduled to go to a couple. So I really hope that they stay on. I was, I've never really gone to anything horror related, which bums me out. But one that I was really close to, um, a local theater in Santa Rosa was going to play Reanimator with Jeffrey Combs there. And I had tickets mm-hmm. for it, and then he had to cancel. So they had to oh, refund geez. everyone. Um, but that was one that I was like, I'm finally going to like go do something. Or like I'm amongst my people and things. So Right. Uh, I'd like to go to what's the one in Chicago, Music Box. They have a huge horror oh, festival. Yeah. I would really like to do something like that at some point. That's uh, here in Nashville. We have the Tattoo and Horror Convention, which is run by uh, this guy, Ben Dixon, who owns a couple tattoo shops here in town. And one of the tattoo shops is connected to an old movie theater. And he does like double bills there all the time. And the whole interior of the movie theater, they also use it as a haunted house during uh, haunt season. And it's just great. Like we had a screening there a couple weeks ago. Uh, you know, it was kind of one of our first times back in theaters and locally run places like that, that are getting to show kind of whatever they want to. It's, you know, I think it's the lifeblood of the nerd community. Uh, when can I come over and spend a few nights at your place? Exactly. <laughs> they also do dinner and a movie. Okay. You're just going to laugh off that question. All right, moving on. <laughs> hey, I'm coming out to you first, so. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's true. Shit, I keep forgetting. I gave you an open invitation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I kid, I kid. I'm excited to hang out with you in person. It's going to be fun. <laughs> we'll cough all over each other because we can. Oh, it's great to be vaccinated. <laughs> so, next scene, uh, we get the, the Freely family having a wonderful American picnic, right? Yes, complete with their dog, E-Buzz, which I never got the dog's name when I was a kid because it, it's so weird. E-Buzz. I, like, what is that as a name? I don't get it. I don't either. I That one perplexes me. The other thing that perplexes me is Craig T. Nelson's mullet. What <laughs> is going on with Craig T. Nelson's hair in the start of this movie? I know later his wife says that he's trying to pretend to be a hippie, but he's just... He's just another guy look, like, trying to get money or whatever. I don't remember what she says, yes. but she makes fun of him for not being a real hippie. Yeah, he's he's just a square. But in what world would anyone think Craig T. Nelson is ever a hippie? He's Coach. <laughs> coach isn't a hippie. But that really made me laugh. The other thing that really made me laugh is Ebuzz is the most out-of-control dog I've ever seen at a picnic. That dog is robbing uh-huh. everybody's sandwiches, stealing directly from the kids' hands, eating pounds of sandwiches, and Craig T. Nelson's like, oh, uh, Ebuzz, what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. Somebody control this dog. And then Mary Beth, or oh, God, I can't remember her name, um... She's Caroline. Caroline, thank you. I, I see. This is my problem with this movie. Mary Beth, Joe Beth is the actress. Joe Beth Williams and, and Caroline is the character. And those two names yes. bounce back and forth like Pullman and Paxton in my head, and it's just an awful game uh-huh. of ping pong. So, uh, 
Carol Ann is eating a peanut butter M&M and honey sandwich. Yeah, and everyone's just okay with this. Also, I think that sounds pretty good. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I know it looks absurd, but I swear, if you had the right amount of toast on that piece of bread, it's ridiculous uh -huh. as a soft piece, but if you did that with toast, I think it would be good. You know, it, it seems over the top, but uh, I've had milkshakes from, like, the, the fancy milkshake kind of places that have, like, peanut butter, chocolate sauce, M&Ms all mixed together. It's the same so, thing. Same thing if it's yeah. on bread or yeah. if it's in a glass. But, uh, yeah, I will fight anyone that tries to tell me peanut butter and any kind of chocolate don't go together. <laughs> uh. that's, that's a good hill to die on, I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what you got next? I, the next thing I got is they go inside and the grandma's knitting. Um, I have that uh, grandma Grandma Jess uh, sees that Carol Ann has psychic powers because she picks up different colored yarn without looking at yeah, it. Yeah, what a cool gift to, to be able to touch yarn and know what color it is. Yeah, I'm like, that's an oddly specific way for that to manifest. Okay, this scene is wild. Because right after this, it's basically like they cut the scene from The Shining with Halloran and Danny. And it's the exact mm -hmm. same thing, where it's like, Halloran is telling Danny, or the grandma is telling Carol Ann, listen, you have mm -hmm. The Shining. You're special. <laughs> you and I can communicate without talking to other people. Other people might not. It's the exact same scene. It's wild. I hadn't even thought about that. It's wild. It... <laughs> uh, somewhere in here, Carol Ann draws a creepy picture of a dude in a big black hat. Yeah. That comes back repeatedly. You know, it's funny. Dustin just posted a picture of something that his kid drew asking like, oh, what, what do you mm -hmm. think this is? And me being a jerk, the first thing I says, oh, it looks like what a kid draws when they see a ghost in a horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> And Dustin's, <laughs> Dustin's had some weird shit going on at his house. And so he's like, don't yeah. say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's my kids never drew anything spooky. But my uh, youngest daughter told me one time when she was about four or five, maybe um, I was putting her to bed and she told me that she wanted to take my arms off. So she could hug them all night. Oh, like, that's... Like, that's sweet, but also scary as hell. That's awesome. Oh, I need to ask my sister. My my youngest nephew, he's the youngest kid in the family. He's a real creep. And I say that in the best way. He's just he's gonna grow up to love <laughs> horror movies and stuff. Uh -huh. And so he was making up some story of like in the night, he would see this thing through the window that had black eyes and was staring. And he was just doing it to fuck with his brother, who's two years older, but much more like a fraidy cat. And so the oh, six-year-old awesome. is making up these stories to freak out the eight-year-old. I love that. Uh, this scene also, Craig T. Nelson is hilarious. He's talking on the phone to the insurance company. <laughs> he's, he's absolutely bewildered because the insurance company is telling him that they can't pay for the house because the house is technically missing. Right. <laughs> he's like, what? What does that mean? And when he's, he says something about like, I am the president and blah, blah. blah. He's really going ham on this phone call. It's great. Uh-huh. Uh, there's a cute little scene where uh, 
Craig T woos uh, Joe Beth Williams. Like their scenes in the first movie were some of the best things. Like when they're hanging out in bed and smoking pot and like talking as adults. So natural. It's a, yeah. And it's really great. And you get a little taste of that here. Uh, he sings her a Beatles song and she dances with him and she's making fun of him for not being a real hippie. And, um, that he used to have a crush on some girl named like Cookie Flenderson or something. Uh, <laughs> that's like, and it's just a really cute little. It's like when I talk to Andrew and he tells me about all these girls he dated around Wisconsin that were named Mitzi Pipkins and all these like <laughs> these delightful Midwest names that make me so happy to hear. Um, and then while they're doing while they're hanging out, hugging and stuff, uh, Carol Ann walks in and says, "Am I interrupting again? That girl has walked in on her parents boning." Oh, totally. Totally. That's what she's scarred yeah, by. <laughs> the entire birth of the poltergeist was just that traumatic experience of her seeing her parents having sex. And that's what created, like, <laughs> the, the chasm in the house that is now haunting her. <laughs> so the mom and the kids go on a shopping trip. And this is where we first see... Uh, the actual scary man from Carol Ann's drawing, um, Kane. Yes. And he is creepy as hell. Like walking up to this sweet little blonde girl. Uh, and I don't know if he's a ghost or not. Like people walk through him a couple times. What are the rules? What are Kane's I, I rules? Know. Because nobody can see him except for, we think Carol Ann. But then Carol Ann's mom comes out, <clears throat> excuse me, and she can see him just fine. People are yes. passing through him, but then he's making physical contact, swinging Carol Ann's hands through the air. Also, it's interesting to see how times have changed in 40, 35 years, because now if your kid is missing and you go outside and you see a man wearing all black, swinging your child's hands, and you're like, get the fuck away from my kid, you weirdo. Mm -hmm. But she's just, oh, thank you for being with her. It's just, oh, it's so yeah. funny. And he sings his, his creepy ass song of uh, God is in his temple. Ugh. This guy, it reminds me so much of uh, John, not Leguizamo, John Turturro in Secret Window has like that same it's almost like an Amish look where it's a black, all black <laughs> outfit with the bowler hat. And also, um, there's a cool little short story in Seven Psychopaths. I would love to talk about Seven Psychopaths in some other Martin McDonough movies sometimes. I love, I love, oh, I love Martin McDonough. I love the McDonough brothers. Who's the other McDonough? Um, I see. I never remember which one did which movie. Martin has done um, Seven Psychopaths, Three Billboards in Bruges. And Bruce was the first so, one I saw of his, and then seven, and then three billboards. Okay. And then, um, what is the other one? John Michael McDonough is the other one. What has he done? Uh, he did The Guard, also with, um, Brendan Gleeson. Yeah, I, I who, saw it, but I, I honestly, I remember it was Gleeson and Cheadle. Was Cheadle in that? 
Oh, in the guard? I think uh, it was, but I, they're, they're yes, cops. Yeah. I, I, I remember it was good, but I remember nothing about it. Yeah, he did that, and Calvary is the other one of his that I really like, um, which also has uh, Brendan Gleeson's son, Dominal. Oh, yeah, he's he's um, good in everything. Yeah, and Chris O'Dowd is in it, like in a kind of a serious role for once. I don't know who Chris O'Dowd is. Uh, did you ever watch the IT crowd? Did you ever see that? I know of it, but no. Or he was in... Uh, I think he was in... Um, Bridesmaids? Is that the movie? Yes. Chris? Uh, uh, Bridesmaids. He's like the unaccountably British man. I recognize him from something, but it might just be that he looks like Paddy Considine. Because <laughs> he does look exactly does like Paddy yeah. Considine. He's in... Mo- no, I don't think I've seen this guy in anything. Cloverfield? He was oh, in he's the... in Cloverfield Paradox. I, I saw that movie. That was a wild movie. I didn't watch that one. It came out, remember it came out right after the Super Bowl? Oh, yeah. It was like a real like interesting it... release that Netflix did, and it got a lot of eyes on it, but then it wasn't... People wanted a Cloverfield movie, and aside from one or two things it had nothing to do with cloverfield same as the 10 cloverfield lane movie they're like the most loosely connected uh things in the world but it sells tickets but at least 10 cloverfield lane had that fantastic john goodman performance no i i, uh, I think in the middle of i it. think 10 cloverfield lane's great it's just not necessary to connect it to that franchise but i thought it was a great movie right um the three actors in it are all excellent i thought um, so after, after we, uh, meet this terrifying old man named Kane, we find out later, um, mm-hmm. we go back to the house and we see that in the kids' room, they have a bunch of clown toys and robot toys. Like, uh, what, <laughs> what, have you not learned your lesson? Your son was attacked by a clown toy and now you're like mocking his PTSD by putting more clown toys back in the room. That's Craig T won't even okay with the family to have a, a TV again yeah. because the, the TV is what sucked Carol Ann in the first that, one. That, and that tag, that punchline at the end of the first one of they go to the hotel yes. and then he pushes the TV out of the room and closes the door. That's yeah. so funny. That's such a perfect, <laughs> wonderful ending. So uh, Carol Ann wakes up in the middle of the night it's kind of weird because she goes into her grandma's room. Oh, grandma has died. The Freelings. Grandma's dead. Yes. We forgot. Grandma, yes. Oh, sorry, everyone. Grandma died. Yeah. She goes into her room and kisses her and then gets a call on her toy phone. Uh, and and she's talking to her grandma, her dead grandma. And it's the weirdest kind of thing because <laughs> at first I didn't get that it was supposed to be the grandma. No, I didn't either. It's when she then says, I love you. Like who is she, yes. who is she talking to? <laughs> yep. I like to imagine that like she picked up the phone. And was like, "Hello, this is Movie Phone, playing today at the Regal <laughs> Cineplex 16." <laughs> it's the time and weather guy. Um. Yeah. So. Um. Yeah, Grandma's dead, and Grandma is shining hard right now. And uh, we get, after this, the mom's in the garden. And I thought this was a genuinely really sweet, beautiful moment in this movie is when the mom 
is standing in the garden and she flashes back to when she was a kid and her mom is teaching her how to plant a rose bush or something. And yes. and then Carol Ann runs out and she needs her wings put on her costume. And so now those two, that new mom and daughter, are now going to have another shared memory there. I thought that was a really valid moment of like in grief when you go to locations and you just kind of flash back to certain moments and times and things and you know it's it's a combination of sadness and closure and happiness to have those memories I, yeah. I that was one of the few moments right this movie was serious and I, I i actually thought it did a really nice job with it i thought it was interesting how they differentiated this flashback because there's a bunch of flashbacks to the first movie as well that different characters have where they just like play footage from the first movie. Um, but this one, it's like gauzy looking. It's very soft focus and um, idyllic. Like with uh, Joe Beth Williams and, and her mom when they were younger, it's very, it is, you're right. It it's looks really a lot like the end of Carrie when you get that fake out of the really sweet dreamy like ending yeah. where everything kind of has a overexposed shine glow on it and, um, yeah, it's just a just a nice moment. Um, so my next my next note is when we get uh, the cloud over the house. So what do you have? That's what I've got. I said ominous looking clouds over okay. the house. The cloud looks awesome, but then there's the moment it shows the first cloud burst, and you see the first drops of water fall. That effect yes. was so cool. It just looked awesome because <laughs> you can just see this cascade. Cur like curtain of waterfall uh tiny droplets falling and covering everything it just knowing that that wasn't faked that they had to figure out some camera trick to do that shit just adds right. so much to it uh, and uh... also it's it's really unfortunate but around this point i noticed craig t nelson's mullet's gone yeah it's like they cleaned him up but part way through mention it or anything i don't think do they ever bring it up that like no and it was mentioned earlier that he's like selling uh vacuums door to door yeah, or something what was that that was a weird little one-off joke I thing about him like losing control of a self-propelled vacuum cleaner <laughs> yeah i feel like it was also there to uh because later they open up a closet door and a bunch of vacuum parts fall out and I was like wondering if they, you know, found some vacuum parts on clearance somewhere to for the set design. Well, because otherwise it's such a weird thing. It's actually a commentary on the patriarchy in society because <laughs> I, I, I was bullshitting at first. But if you really want to, I'm going to make a fake point here, but it might have some validity. Many okay. times in this movie, it's brought up that like. The son wants to be a man, to be a warrior, when he's getting his face painted. Mm -hmm. Or later, Taylor tells Craig T. Nelson, like, you're not man enough. You're worried that you're not man enough to be there for your family and to be the protector of the house. And what do we see him right. doing? He's failing to repair something that is typically a very matriarchal object in the vacuum cleaner. And he can't even fix that. Wow. Yeah. I think I think you dug some gold out of that one. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I was I was initially just thinking that was complete bullshit, but there might be something there. You came around on it. I like it. <laughs> so, so we've got uh, 
Joe Beth Williams is in the garden. It's kind of cool because they're mirroring her in the garden earlier. Um, and you get these really gooey looking corpse hands that come up from the ground and start grabbing at her ankles and stuff. That's really cool. When she gets yeah. dragged under the ground, it reminds me kind of a Beetlejuice for some reason. Like the, the effect mm -hmm. of the ground almost looking like it's a carpet of grass that you could get like sucked under. Um, really cool effect. But that makes me so uh, like claustrophobic feeling. Like when someone gets dragged under the ground like that. Um, there was a scene in uh, A Quiet Place. I recently watched both of those movies. And in the first one, there's a scene where somebody gets pulled underground, kind of. Uh, and, like, it makes me want to hold my breath and just, I can't handle it. Did you it. ever see that Ryan Reynolds movie where he's just in a coffin the entire movie? Buried? No. Uh, it's no. pretty wild. It's just 80 minutes of, I think the entire thing is filmed from his perspective, buried alive. Uh, nope. <laughs> I don't think I could do that. It may, uh, Josh, right now, now I want to double feature like the descent and buried and just put you through hell. <laughs> it makes my nerves feel itchy. <laughs> like, like I want to get out of my own skin. It's too tight. I can't handle it. So you can relate a lot to um, Body Double then, that character who's freaked oh, yeah. out. But do you get it? Like, because in that movie, he's freaked out just going through like a pedestrian tunnel. No, it's nothing yeah. that bad. It really has to be like something kind of enclosed and right in front of your I'm face. I'm with you, man. I, I, I don't like not being able to move. Or like in movies when you see people mm -hmm. squeezing through those tiny passages and caves and then someone always inevitably gets stuck. I don't like... I'm not going underground. Okay? That's just, <laughs> no. Also, people who do the scuba diving in cave systems, oh mm -hmm. my god, that's on another level of madness that I can't even comprehend that's there's a podcast i'm listening to um called the magnus archives and it's like a bunch of short story kind of things but they all weave together um and there's a bigger overarching story but one of them one of the short stories was about uh these people who go caving and just the description of like getting wedged in there and having to kind of push yourself along with your toes that's the only way you can get through a crevice. That is not for me. That freaked me the fuck out. Did, I was I was driving and I did not like yeah, that. That's terrifying. Did you ever read that internet thing that was like 20 years ago? Ted's Ted's, yes. Ted's yep. caving hole or whatever that short that was like a fictitious short story told in the guise of an online blog. Oh, it's so yep. good. So creepy about basically these guys find a cave system and then there's a little tiny hole but they can see that it leads to this tunnel and then they as they're like chiseling away trying to open this hole for days they start to hear things coming from down the tunnel and, uh it's so beautifully written that, that scared the shit out of me yeah that's one of the first like creepy pastas it has to be i think uh, oh yeah creepy pasta that's what they're called um so what's the next scene you got i got them at the restaurant um i've got uh, before that, her Carol Ann's phone, um, her toy phone starts ringing again, and all the toys, all the creepy toys in the room come to life and start, like, flying around the room. Uh, and then when the parents run in, Carol Ann says, they're back. Tagline. We got it. 
We got yep. the shot. She she said she the said thing. She said the thing, everybody. Who's back? From where? From the other side. <laughs> it's Poltergeist 2. And then they go to the, the diner, or they see Taylor on the way to the diner, but they just kind of blow him off. Um, I like that the kids had milkshakes. Mom has coffee and dad has beer. And it's got to be like three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Like, I, I'm a little... I don't know what you should drink then, but it's not none of those things. I'm a, I'm a little concerned about the mom's drinking. I'm very concerned about Craig T. Nelson's drinking in this movie. We'll get into yes. that later. Um, this part, this scene is so funny. Uh, it's the part where the woman with the curlers in her hair walks over to the table and is being controlled by uh, the dead grandma. Mm -hmm. And you know what? It, it's one of my pet peeves. It, it really bugs me, but I hate when I go out to a bar and like I just want to have a good time. And then suddenly I'm being controlled by somebody's dead parent and I'm over there giving them life <laughs> advice. So I'm like, could you please just leave me alone and let me enjoy my drink and peace? <laughs> the uh, I loved the fact that this woman gets gets possessed. But, like, the string of events that have happened, Craig T. Nelson has seen the toys in the room flying around. Uh, this voice has come out of the his kid's telephone. His daughter freaking disappeared for weeks, and his whole house imploded. And then as soon as uh, his wife is like, I think my mother's trying to reach me from the other side. He's like, no, that's bullshit. <laughs> No, it's <laughs> he don't, totally blows it off and like mansplains don't be it to ridiculous. her. Yeah. <laughs> Silly <Yeah>. woman. <laughs> this their relationship is just hilarious. Joe Bath and Craig T. Also, we have not said his character's name once, and I don't even remember what it is, because every time I took a note or anything, I would just say, uh, Craig T's hair is wild, right? <laughs> wait, wait, where did Craig T's mullet go? So <laughs> It's uh, Steve and Diane are their actual whoa, names, which doesn't feel whoa. right. That's my aunt yeah. and uncle's name. Uncle what? Steve and Aunt Diane. Holy shit. What? Is this movie based on your <laughs> life or their lives? How did I not pick that up watching two poltergeist movies? <laughs> wow. Wow. Now I'm really scared. It's okay. They're very Christian. I'm sure they'll be protected from all sorts of ghosts and stuff. Yeah. Okay. Good for them. <laughs> Um, the, the next note I have is about moths. So what do you have? Um, yes, basically outside the diner, Taylor is, is there. And for some reason, like Taylor and Craig T start arguing back and forth. Uh, and this is where he starts in on the, you're not a, you're not a warrior. You don't have a warrior's heart or whatever he says. Um, but then, for some reason, Carol Ann talks to Taylor, and he comes back to their house with them. Like, it just shifts gears, and uh, Craig T. Nelson's uh, belief structure in this movie is all over the place. It's, he's, Craig T. Nelson is only capable when Taylor's around, basically. Yes, yeah. Until the end of the movie, um, which is kind of the whole point of the sweat lodge and all that sort of shit. Taylor trying to get Craig T. Yeah. Nelson to step up. Um, 
but yeah, he's uh, back at their house. Taylor is doing some kind of ritual, um, and then he's surrounded by these moths. Man, like I've I've heard of a Mothman prophecy, but a Mothman <laughs> proof I see. Ooh. Don't ooh that. That's a terrible joke. Edit, edit that out. <laughs> oh God, I love that so much. That made me so happy. Did you write that down, or was that off the dome? I that have to was, know. I've been taking voice notes, so that was me sitting there on my phone, slowly working that out word by word over the course of ten seconds. <laughs> Mothman prophecy. Moth prophecy. Roof. I see. <laughs> you should. These are basically like how all of my notes sound, and then in the background you just hear people screaming and ghosts attacking and stuff. My my notes for these movies are really fun. Uh, yeah. So he, oh. uh, Taylor also says, um, "Yeah, Craig doesn't want. He's worried about being a man." And then at this point, Craig T. Nelson is just hanging out with his family with a tequila bottle in his hand. Just swigging, pulling straight off the a fifth of tequila. Uh huh. Like that's just a casual and thing that people do. <laughs> this family, their their uh, diet leaves a lot to be concerned. The son doesn't get to eat anything because the dog eats all his food. Carol Ann eats nothing but sugar. <laughs> Craig T. Nelson should be shit faced the entire yes. time, given how much he's yes, drinking. It's unbelievable. Uh, <laughs> and the mom later is drinking Jack Daniels on the rocks. Yes. Uh, so I'm just worried about these people. In the first movie, we see that they're just openly smoking joints when their like, six-year-old kid is hanging out in the bedroom with them. Like, what's going on in this household? <laughs> Maybe their last name. You know, oh. what do you say it is? Freely, Freeling. And they're very Freelings. free people, huh? Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, next next uh, spot I got is basically the sweat lodge. I don't know where you're at. Oh, uh, Kane shows up at their house. Um, it's sunny, but it starts raining when Kane is talking to uh, Craig T. And it's got that creepy. Have you ever heard uh, when it's sunny, but it's raining? Like the term for that? No. That's uh, the devil's beating his wife. Yikes. No, I've never, yeah, never I heard know. that before. <laughs> also, the devil being married is a very interesting concept. It didn't, devil doesn't really seem monogamous to me, but I don't know. What do I know? What do I know? No. I missed that part of catechism. <laughs> um, somewhere in there, <laughs> uh, Joe Beth Williams starts having flashes um, of... The, the pit of bodies that Taylor and Tangina had found earlier, uh, except for Kane is also down in the pit of bodies. Uh, and I think it was his, supposed to be his body that the fish comes out of earlier. Yeah. Because it's like the central but later one. later on. That all the other ones look like they're praying on, to. we'll see Kane's body again. It, it, <laughs> it's wild. Yeah. Does uh, so this one, uh, Craig goes to the sweat lodge with Taylor. Um, oh no, Robbie gets attacked oh, first. Oh, is this the, the braces scene? 
Okay, this is yes. the only other thing I remembered from this movie was seeing this scene, or maybe I didn't even see it. Maybe somebody just told me about it, like, oh, the kid's braces start wrapping around his head and stuff. And just that idea. I never had braces as a kid. That's why I have this nice gap tooth yeah. in the front. But uh, but that scared the shit out of me when I was a kid, thinking about that idea. There's a great uh, shot here, like right at the beginning, um, that lets you know that the the spirits are there where uh robbie is in front of the mirror like you see the mirror and then robbie steps in front of it and when he steps away again there's like the zombie monsters are behind him in the mirror and it was a really cool reveal that freaked me out the mirror trick i've seen i've seen the mirror thing done so many times both where there is something behind or where it's a fake scare and there's nothing behind that it's rare for right. a movie to figure out a cool way to use a mirror to then get me these days. Because I feel like mirrors have been used throughout yeah. the history of movies to trick audiences, basically, one way or another. Uh, you know what movie doesn't use them all that much? Was uh, Oculus, which features a haunted mirror. I, okay, well, we can talk about that movie because I think that movie <laughs> is really, really impressive with the amount of, of timelines that oh, it yeah. juggles and the fact that you are constantly flashing in and out of different timelines and things are crossing over. I, I don't I think that's one of Flanagan's best. Yeah. I I'm, wasn't huge. I'm a, uh, I'm a fan I need of to fan. see Dr. Sleep again. I, I've read The Shining. I like the movie The Shining, but I'm not like huge about it. not crazy about it. Mm-hmm. Not the same way about Dr. Sleep. I thought there was some cool stuff in Dr. Sleep, but I don't know. Overall, I just didn't have the response to it like so many people did. Oh, no. it. There's like some personal reasons that it, it definitely hit me, the uh, Danny's storyline as he's growing up. Um, but the director's cut is it's one that I would actually recommend watching over the theatrical because I think it does add a lot yeah, of stuff to I it. I saw theatrical. So it's one that I would like to go back, especially... I love Flanagan. I love what he's such a hard-working guy churning out so mm-hmm. much like high quality horror stuff he's really great for the genre and has pushed it forward and um has brought legitimacy to it um so i'll, I'll watch it again at some point just gotta the director's cuts over three hours right i think so it's yeah. it's a hike um i lost i lost our place with that plane again tangent that flangent with the <laughs> I, I was i was getting there you got there before i did though um when robbie gets attacked uh this is when taylor tells uh craig and joe beth that uh kane knows your strength is your family's love and he hates you for it um and like that's what he's trying to break the family apart although Nothing that he's really done has shade, shaded towards that at this point. It's all seemed no, you'd, like... Yeah, just, you'd think if that was his intention, then he would do more to somehow drive a wedge between mother and father or something, you know? Yes. Uh, that Yeah, that part was uh, like, oh shit, we have a really creepy old ghost guy, but why is he attacking this family? Um, it's It's almost like what... George Bush did, or like they hate our freedom. 
You know, we we gotta get him because they hate right. our freedom, and like that's to say that he hates your love. He hates the family unity and can't <laughs> stand it. The uh, this is where uh, Joe Beth is drinking just a rocks glass full of Jack Daniels. Like it's not even like two or three fingers; it's like a whole fist full that, of Jack Daniels. And that bottle being right next to her on the table, you know, that's not her only one. That, that glass is getting oh, yeah. filled Just again. Set me up and keep them coming, yeah. kind of a thing. And then uh, that's when they're in the sweat lodge. Uh, Taylor and Craig T. Nelson are in the sweat lodge. Um, Taylor blows some smoke into his face, and like some spirits go into him uh, through his nose and his mouth. And Tangina showed up somewhere in here. I felt like there was like shooting restrictions. And people could only be there on certain days because, like, Tangina never sees Craig T. Nelson. <laughs> like, she's only in the scene with Joe Beth Williams. Uh, it's yeah, kind of weird. And also, they they seem to not really have gotten Zelda Rubenstein aside from at that one location um, in the old yeah. property, basically. Yep. Yeah, that, that's curious. Um, I imagine, what's the budget on this thing? $19 million budget, so... For 86, that's pretty big. Pretty good-sized budgets, so... Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know why... Because it feels like there would have been more of a reliance on Zelda and less on Taylor. It, it feels like almost those two characters would normally be swapped, where Zelda would be the main character mm -hmm. helping them, and then Taylor would be kind of like her assistant guy. But it's almost the opposite, right. where Taylor is... Taylor's the main dude, and Zelda's just this perfunctory character that they kind of hang out with every now and then. Yeah. And she shows Joe Beth Williams pictures of... Uh, so the backstory is Kane was a preacher and basically had a doomsday cult. Um, and they don't... I don't think they specify when, but his cult sealed themselves in this ca cavern which was underneath the cemetery, which was underneath the Freeling's house. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. I don't know if they're like, well, we don't really want to have Native Americans be the villains in this movie, so what if we just put another cemetery under their cemetery? Or something, you know, like... Yes. Which is fine with me, because there's been... Hollywood's done plenty of shitting on Native Americans, so it, it's nice to actually see Taylor you know, be a helpful guy, except he does just bail at the end. <laughs> yeah. But they, uh, they also like retroactively make the beast from the first movie. They say in this movie, they say it was Kane was like the beast from the first one, which never sticks in my head. Like, I don't think no, that matters. The first and one, it... they say that she can only, uh, Carol Ann only sees this, thing on the other side she probably sees it as a child like and it speaks to her yeah. as a child and i i get none of that with kane being <laughs> a terrifying old skeleton of a man like there's there's nothing that right. embodies child about this man no he looks like um a skull with parchment paper pulled tight across yeah. it like he was he was near death when he made this movie. Yeah, but he was still around for the third one, wasn't he? No, it's a um, a Does bunch of prosthetics. 
And no, the third I mean, one, it, yes. the actor in between, after the second one, he Because I know this movie's cursed, supposedly, but... Yeah, I think he died maybe even before it came out, because uh, he's listed as having died in 85. Gotcha. Well, yeah. So he died before this came out. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, he had um, stomach cancer. Oh, that's a bummer. That's, I watched the um, uh, cursed films... About this one, uh, I'm not gonna watch the one about the Twilight no, Zone. No, me neither. But I watched, the, yeah, I watched the one about this one, and I didn't know that Gorley was one of the talking heads in it, which is kind of um, fun. Yeah, which which episode did I see Gorley on? Um, I can't I can't think of which cursed. Oh, it was I was he on the Exorcist episode? Uh, I can't. He might have been the only one I've seen oh, as okay. Poltergeist. And, uh, but yeah, that's that's a good series. I have been told by. Basically, everyone who's watched it basically skipped the Twilight Zone one because they do some real kind of shithead editing of not editing around the yeah. death of children and stuff. And like, yeah, I'm not really down with that. So doesn't seem necessary to show either to tell the story. Nope, not at all. I, I think it's and uh, we talked about this a little bit in the other episode when you don't need to use real life atrocities to to tell a story. No. But we're about to see a real fake atrocity here because Craig T Nelson gets home from the sweat lodge and he is thirsty baby. <laughs> and nothing is going to quench that thirst like an entire nothing bottle of tequila. Like after sitting in a 130 degree room sweating out every single ounce of moisture in your body, nothing will recuperate you faster than chugging tequila. With also, when's the last time you saw a tequila worm? I haven't seen a tequila worm in years. Yes, and is this a bottle of like this is like no, name it brand? Like, it looked like Cuervo. tequila. Like yeah, I remember like as a kid the the idea of like the tequila worm. People would wear shirts that said like I ate the worm and stuff. Like it was, the whole idea of like the tequila yeah. worm seemed like such a big part of society that has seemingly vanished at this point. <laughs> I don't think George. It's like worrying about quicksand. I don't think quicksand. George Clooney's putting any worms into Casamigos. No, uh, was oh no, Dan Aykroyd Crystal has Skull, vodka, yeah. Crystal, no, Crystal, Crystal Skull vodka, head. Because yeah. Crystal Skull's Indiana Jones movie. I do that. I do. I do oh, that that's every right. fucking time. <laughs> <laughs> I bought a bottle of Crystal Head vodka just because I wanted the bottle. So they 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 got yeah. me. You know. Yeah. It works once so, at least. <laughs> I love this part where he's drinking the worm because he's trying to finish the bottle of tequila and the worm is like bouncing off of his lips and teeth and yet he's not aware of it, does mm -hmm. not notice it. And then you get that close-up shot of the worm in the bottle and like an eye on the side of its body opened up. And <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's so... Ugh. This part's like very Cronenberg-y, the, the worm part. Mm -hmm. um, and this felt... leads... Uh, it always I was going to say, that always reminds me of um, the Stephen King book, uh, Night Shift, because the, the cover of it had a hand covered in eyes that are opening up like that, and that always made me, like, conflate those two things together. Because uh, I thought there was going to be more eyes on that one. You know what really was... grosses me out is an Army of the Dead, or uh, Army of Darkness, oh boy, uh, when uh -huh. he looks at his shoulder and there's an eyeball coming out of his shoulder that yes that, 
That's I don't upsetting. like that at all. I like, also, I don't like where this part goes at all. This is my least favorite sequence of this movie is when it goes straight Amityville horror and Craig T. Nelson is mm-hmm. attacking, borderline sexually assaulting his wife and it's a real bummer in this movie. I don't. I was not feeling this one bit. No, he's creepy towards his wife. He's creepy towards Carol Ann. Like, you know, and I don't know if that's like kind of the... Um, the lens that we view things through now, but knowing that he's possessed by Kane, who comes across like a total creeper uh, in his first scene with Caroline, you know, it's just, and like I said, they, they dirty up his teeth and he looks gross and he looks shittier and shittier as the sequence goes on. He looks all pale uh, and everything. Looks, well, he looks like he's been drinking a bottle of tequila with no water in his system, basically. <laughs> but but yeah. it's just not fun. <laughs> like everything else in this movie is geared towards fun and goofy and it can be scary, but it's not it's not a bummer. And this is just a real bummer. Yeah. I, I just I, I'm glad that it's over in about four minutes or so. It, it's pretty quick. And then uh I you know, I I was grateful for it, but I I don't think it fits at all in this movie. No, I'm glad because we get back to the silly stuff when he vomits yeah. up the, the spirit yeah. worm thing. Puking up a spirit worm. That's awesome. <laughs> and this spirit worm. Okay. One, it looks like a cross between when you see the full face reveal and it has the teeth of Kane. It looks like yeah. the Babadook crossed with Alien Resurrection. The thing at the end of it. Oh yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. that weird slimy humanoid thing, but then it has this like funny like Babadook face with like a giant smile and weird teeth. That does not look at all like what I would picture an HR Giger thing to be. No, I could see it like on the design when it grows into a, a person and kind of scampers out of the room. Um like the body design looks kind of geekery, but that was about the only way place yeah, that I really bo- noticed yeah, that's it. True, the body does, and it kinda has these weird crawly it's like ribs that kind of look like it's centipede legs kind of thing there's some weird shit yes Um, i definitely thought for a second i just wanted it to do the that old cartoon slash space balls and just hello my baby hello my darling hello (laughs) i do like that craig t like pukes up this thing which is massive uh and then he's fine oh yeah he's like, there's no after effects from the tequila. There's no after effects from giving birth He's through back, his baby. mouth. Um, yeah. This is, <laughs> at this point, I don't know why I decided at this point to take this note. What does the T stand for in Craig T. Nelson? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it stands. What do you think it stands for? Oh. I have the answer in front of me. Uh, I like the idea that it's just the, as in Craig yeah. the Nelson. Oh, Craig the Nelson, yeah. I was hoping it'd be like Craig Thoreau Nelson. It's it's Theodore. It's Craig Ted Nelson. It's it's all right. It's not okay. as fun as I would have wanted. I wanted like Truax or some kind of weird fucking name. Um, yeah. Speaking Theodore of weird names, Ebuzz has been the most worthless dog up to this point because no matter what... His family is getting, like, attacked by things and everything else, and this dog is either non-existent or non-responsive to anything. And 
Fine. As soon as I wrote that note, then the dog grabs. They're in the trying to escape into the car, and everything's going crazy. Mm -hmm. And the electrical cable is swinging around, and the dog grabs the electrical cable. So I was like, "Ah, oh, Epas!" As yeah. soon as I start to shit on your reputation, you prove me wrong and be a good boy and <laughs> save the family. Way to go! <laughs> he comes through with some good sense. Oh, thank you. I forgot that word. Thank you. Um, this. Yeah, once Craig T. Nelson gets back, this ending is real fun as just shit hits the fan, you know? Yeah, the uh, the vacuum cleaner that he was selling comes back um, because uh, Joe Beth Williams gets attacked and you think it's a whole bunch of zombies. And then like in the cut, it revealed that it's just a whole <laughs> bunch of vacuum cleaner attachments. Which is kind of hilarious, because everything else that's going really on funny. is horrifying. <laughs> and then just, yeah, a bunch of hoses fall on her. And and then the chain, the chainsaw is my favorite bit. Oh, yeah. The chainsaw, like, a attacking the car. Flying a flying chainsaw. chainsaw. That's, it's also, it's not just attacking the car. It's, like, taunting them by dragging it across the windshield and across the hood. Mm -hmm. And then it goes, plunges down through the roof and stuff. It's so funny. Um, it's very Raimi-ish, I feel like, this part. Yes. And when uh, the car, when they actually pull it out of the driveway, this thing has, like, so many it's, fucking holes in it. It's <laughs> The car looks along. injured. Like, the car looks like it's bleeding because yes. there's red paint spilled on it. Yep. And every single panel is fucked or torn or gashed or has a hole or something. It's the most beat up looking car like I've ever seen. It looks like the car has been assaulted like, and it needs to go to the hospital. Yes. The bumper gets ripped off. It looks like Bonnie and Clyde's car. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's this. Uh... And then, um... yeah, we're, we're really close to the end, huh? So, yep. I did what at this point. Um. Well, what do you have next? Because I only have one note left. Uh, I have they uh, Craig T. Nelson finally believes Taylor, and they decide to go back to Cuesta Verde, which is their the housing development from the first one. And oh. Tangina is there, like by the way, just waiting. Cuesta Verde, for some reason. roughly If you want to translate it into shitty Spanish, which is the span, yeah. it would be like cost green or like the cost of green and so it's like what's how Ooh. much life are you willing to you know uh sacrifice to get your green bucks you know yeah, yeah. also on the podcast paul called it Cu suesta verde or something <laughs> that blew my <laughs> mind <laughs> um so this part really confused me craig t nelson gives the cart to taylor and Taylor's like, awesome, I've wanted a car. And he starts driving away, and then right. the family's like, wait, we need a ride home. It's Taylor! And, <laughs> like, did, was it payment to Taylor? Was that like, hey, I guess we owe you something. Here's this shitty car that's dying, literally dying. I don't know, they have a running joke through, I guess it's a joke, through the movie of Taylor saying that the car is angry. Uh, and Craig T. Nelson just thinking that needs to get fixed or something. Uh, 
and then Taylor says the car would be happy to go home with him <laughs> or something at the it's, end. It's, it's such it's a weird good. moment, but it's like, well, I guess you did just help save our entire family's lives, so I guess I do owe you something. So I, if if you want my car, I I, I guess you can have it. Sure. <laughs> um, right before that, when they go, they they go down into the pit. Oh uh, shit! That yeah. we saw at the very we, we beginning of the movie. Bit, yeah. Um, and like, so the mom and Carol Ann get sucked into the Through nether realm. Kane's dead body's mouth. The camera zooms in on yes. Kane's dead body, and suddenly <laughs> they're going up into the vortex in the sky, and they're gone. And then Taylor yeah. tells Craig T. Nelson and his son that they have to walk into the fire pit, and it's the only way. This movie's off the rails. Yeah, I have no idea. They're like, okay, we're going to get sucked into the dead guy's mouth. We're jumping through a fire to get there. Uh, and it looks like they had no idea of actually what to put in this scene because it's just a bunch of clouds floating around and the family is floating this in the is, middle of it. This is <laughs> and they hug and they, nothing they that I pictured from the first Poltergeist movie. This, yeah. in my mind, this is a million miles away from anything that I pictured. I, I picture Poltergeist yes. on the other side being terrifying, and this looks blissful to be floating around in this ether yeah. realm. I'm like, it looks kind of like yes. what heaven should look like. Yes, it did. And uh, so, Kane grabs Carol Ann, uh, Taylor sends a spear to Craig T. Nelson through the fire. <laughs> I, I love the fact that earlier Taylor was like, your family's love is the weapon. <laughs> like, he hates your togetherness. And then at the end, he's like, the actual weapon is a spear. Here, take this spear. <laughs> you, you, I'm going to shove it through the magic fire. You actually believe that love was a weapon? You did shit? <laughs> <laughs> you can't go fight a demon with love, no, idiot. But apparently, the greatest deus ex machina of all is a dead grandmother. So, <laughs> so, mm -hmm. so Carol Ann... Uh, the death shot of Carol Ann is pretty shocking. How it it kind of does that Indiana Jones aging effect, where it looks like she withers and her skin gets all dry and brown and wrinkly and leathery. Yeah, and pretty surprising that they showed that to that happening to that kid on screen. Yeah, it's um, another one of those like who is this Thor kind of scenes because a lot of the movie has been kind of goofy and light and. <laughs> Like this happens, and you're yeah. Like, Holy no, shit. and they're selling hard. Like, oh, Carol Ann is dead. Everyone, she is yes. gone. And <laughs> here comes Grandma. Grandma got just a beautiful. Somebody gave being. Grandma Red Bull because she got her wings. <laughs> <laughs> and she just carries Carol Ann Yay! back to the family. Uh. And everything is okay. All was well in the world. Yeah. This, I'm really glad you picked this movie, especially after just having watched the first one. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. it's, it's obviously it's not on the level of the first one, but it's still really fun. And it's, it's something that yeah. you, you still you don't get this blend of comedy and horror with almost like a family tone. It's almost like a family movie um, 
It's a very rare thing these days. Right. Yeah, like I said, like those Conjuring movies are so self-serious and, uh, you know, they almost want you to think that they're on the level of like The Exorcist or something. Um, and they're a lot closer to this uh, in, you know, scares wise. But they're, they have no fun. They're just like stone faced the whole time. And this was, was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, so overall, for this one, walking away from it, I didn't like the Amityville horror part where he's attacking her. But other than that, I thought this was a really fun movie with some good effects. Um, I'd say it's a solid three out of five for me. Oh, God dang. What do I what do I rank it? Probably about the same. I have to say, I think technically I'll, I'll say um, the what first did I give the it? first is like a nine out of ten, four and a half out of five. What do you want to go with a five star or a yes. out of ten rank system? Well, whatever it is, I'm just going to be converting my, my yeah, letterbox. It, that, well, that's, reviews, let's just go off letterbox because that's how I'm logging everything too. So yeah, uh, yeah. go ahead. The uh, I rank things. Like it's totally uh, personal. Like I, I don't expect it to be a good movie. I might rank it highly, but that doesn't mean it's good. It means that I like it. It's totally yes, different. That's, um, yeah. And two and a half, yeah, two and a half stars for me is like this movie is perfectly fine, and I would watch it again if it's on. And so this comes in at three stars. It's like just above that level of like I might actually seek it out again. Because it's it's kind of goofy I'm enough to right watch it there once with again. You. Two and a half stars is a movie that I don't have much response to either way, but it, it's fine, and I would watch it again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah, if you, if you're below two stars, then I really wasn't having fun with your movie. And uh, if you're yeah. four or above, it means it, it might not be a great movie, but it's something that I treasure. As we might yes. see with our next movie, Trimmers 2! <laughs> um, I hope everyone is ready to hear the word graboid like a whole bunch of times. Yeah, well, and Fred Ward. Because <laughs> I yes. have a lot to say about Fred Ward. Your hair is not as tall as it normally is. No, it's like I've slept on it since I've done it, so it's uh, kind of sprung out to the side a little bit. And it gets very eraser head at a certain point. You do have eraser head hair. That's hilarious. <laughs> wow. That's it's, that's very accurate. It starts out as like a rockabilly kind of a thing and then devolves into eraser head. Yeah, there's like I, I imagine there's like a one week grace period where like you're just on that edge where it looks good. And then yeah. one week later, you look a little bit lynchy. Yep. And it's, uh, I've got to get it trimmed up because we're doing our, our commitment ceremony next weekend. But if you do something like that, if you get your picture taken right after your haircut, it also looks kind of weird. No, it's you like, gotta, you gotta give a haircut a good 72 hours. Yes. It's got to uh, kind of grow in a little bit. Yeah. You know, I don't like. Barbers sometimes they'll they'll cut like a line above your ear and kind of mm-hmm. shape. It looks weird because that's when like the old phrase of like oh you got your ears lowered. That's like right. why why are you cutting that line 
around, but I guess this is why, because now my hair is growing completely over my ears. I don't know if you saw, but the other day, I on the Discord, I had gotten out of the shower and my hair was sticking out of the sides and the top, and it looked just like Pennywise from there. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh-oh, that's not a good look, because... Because I do, when my hair gets longer, I do kind of get that Nicolas Cage thing where it looks just kind of like bird's nest. It starts to like stick out the side and right. it's not great, but I don't have much hair left. So it's, it's I kind of want to just let it do its own thing here before I uh, eventually end up having to just shave it off and commit to, <laughs> commit to that lifestyle. You're going to pull a Michael Chiklis and just... No, I think... I think eventually I'll probably just go with uh, a Carl Pilkington or a Jason Statham. Maybe not quite as short as a Statham, but okay, somewhere around there probably. It just depends. I don't know. My grandpa had receding hairline with just thin hair on top, but he never went fully bald. So this might yeah. this might be it. I don't know. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Whatever. It doesn't. That's... It doesn't matter that I'll never look like Fred Ward. God damn it. <laughs> Fred Ward. Even when he takes his hat off, his hair looks very good in this movie, and I was amazed. It's like perfectly quaffed underneath. Fred Ward's a good-looking man. Yeah. Which brings us on to the next movie we're watching, Tremors 2, Aftershocks. It's a 1996 sequel, direct-to-video, directed by S.S. Wilson. He took time off from serving as a boat in the Navy to direct a movie. (laughs) (laughs) Written by... Brent Brent Maddock and S.S. Wilson, starring Fred Ward, Christopher Garton, Helen Shaver, and Michael Gross. And we'll talk about Michael Gross, because he's a real hero of this franchise. Oh, yeah. Um, So, Josh, had you ever seen Tremors 2 before? No, I think when I first... I watched Tremors when it came out on video, I remember that. But I think it was a little... um, too silly for me at the time tremors came out like tremors came out in 90 okay so you were 12 it was like 11 or 12 yeah um and too, too silly for you when you're 12 years old god i was so pretentious like god, really to I mean, really? a annoying degree yeah wow 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 i wasn't pretentious like that until i was like 17 you started oh, early. Oh no! Yeah, I was the real little asshole. I, I had, I had a lot of feelings about like Elvis Costello and <laughs> the Talking Heads. Okay, you were yeah. you were an advanced kid, huh? Yeah, that's that's what you get from being an only child who I'm, like I'm, never deals with other children. I'm sure all the other kids on the playground wanted to talk about your theories of David Byrne. Oh. I had a jean jacket way too early and like a disaffected stare. If I could have started smoking like a Frenchman uh, at that age, I probably would have. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so I was, um, I was nine or 10 years old when this came out. And I just remember watching this movie on HBO or I don't remember what I, I we never owned it on tape. I don't think maybe my buddies mm-hmm. and I rented it, but, I remember watching it so many times and there's so many scenes of this movie that are like just burned into my brain and having watched it again recently, this is the perfect kids movie for an introduction into horror movies. Mm -hmm. This movie is so much fun. It's a little bit scary, but not really. There's really cool monsters. Nothing's too gross or sadistic about it. It's it's light tone. It's 
I, no wonder I hated horror movies as a kid. I told you that I, they scared the shit right. out of me. But this movie, I loved it. I I, I want to show it to my niece and nephews. That's I hadn't uh, like I said I hadn't watched the first one even since uh, since it came out. So I watched the first two back to back the other day. Oh, awesome! And it was like a great time. And these movies they take place entirely in the sunlight, like. It's in the desert and everything is like sunbaked the whole time. So it never gets too creepy feeling. No. I like that about it. No. It just, especially the first one with Fred Ward and Kevin Bacon, but something about Fred Ward being attached as the protagonist just makes me feel comforted and safe as a kid. Cause like he's never going to take it too seriously or whatever happens. I just don't see like, this movie getting to like a scary point with Fred Ward starring in it. It's, it's always going to have right. that tone of being kind of grizzled fun. But yeah. you're totally right. Also, I daylight horror is awesome. And the, uh, the thing that I loved about the first one, which bummed me out about the sequels, uh, was Reba McIntyre in the first one as a gun nut. And, uh, Michael Gross's wife, uh, was, she was fantastic. And, uh, I wish that she had been in the sequels. That's funny because in this one they say that she left Earl, or excuse me, she left Bert because the Soviet Union collapsed and Bert couldn't <laughs> cope without a threat of nuclear war. And that's yes. why she had to leave. <laughs> that was such a funny way to write her out of the movie. Yeah. the uh, There's a visual gag that they do in the first one that they kind of repeat in the second one. Um, when you're in... Uh, Bert's house and they they start to get attacked and then the camera pulls back and reveals his big wall of guns. It's like this great kind of visual joke of he's like, oh, well, what do we do? And then it pulls back and reveals the guns. And in the second one, they show the other side of his living room and they do almost the exact same gag of the camera slowly pulling back and he's got like a bunch of mounted heads on the wall. And then he's got one of the graboid heads, one of the creatures from the from the first movie, mounted on the wall, and it's fucking huge. It like <laughs> sticks way out into his living room. It's great. It would be a preposterous thing to have in your yes. house, but I love it. Yeah, Bert's just hanging out, drinking crap beer, watching war movies. Uh, yes, just so perfect for that character. So um, let's get into this from the start, right off the bat. Okay. This movie has one of the most '90s ass title cards I've ever seen it's like they made it in uh powerpoint and they brought in like trimmers 2 pops up and then the word aftershock looks like it's a clip art that they like slide in and then animate uh -huh. it looks so stupid and so 90s and just so cheap and shitty it, it, it cracked me up right off the bat and then five and... seconds into this movie we get a, we get a trimmer like five seconds yeah. into this thing we're going you know and the the first shot is a uh, like a good goof of you see these feet like these dangling feet kind of come into the frame and because it, it looks like it's a landscape shot. Then you just see these feet kind of like scooting along, um, hanging from it's, it's a guy hanging from a pipe and you don't know what it is at first. But they hold on that shot for long enough for you to be like, what the hell am I watching? I love it's great. I love that guy shimmying on his crotch. Like a kid yes. who like is afraid to cross a bridge, so you're just gonna shimmy on it like a, a rocking horse or something. Yes. <laughs> so this guy, yeah, he gets to the end of the pipe, 
and the trimmer. I'm gonna call it trimmer for now. The grappling okay. is, uh, is coming after him, and so he sees what's possibly the worst thing you could possibly stand on: a field of empty oil <laughs> barrels, a bunch of 50-gallon empty cans, which. If you've seen Tremors, you know the number one rule, don't make noise. And so this guy is going to run on things that are literal drums, drumming into the ground. And then it's not like they offer you any protection if you're standing on them or anything. <laughs> it's got, right. This guy was fucked from the get-go. It's And I love the fact we... I don't think in the first one you ever saw anybody, like, getting eaten... This first dude just gets swallowed by a trimmer by, <laughs> by one of the creatures. It's like it pops up from behind some of the barrels and he's just waving his arms like at the beginning of Jaws or something. And then he gets swallowed. It's so funny. It honestly looks like a good time to be that actor to like slide down inside this giant prosthetic monster yeah. and like shimmy your way down as you're screaming. It looks really fun. So, yeah, we have our first death. Three minutes and forty seconds into the movie, <laughs> all right, we are, we are in this, and um, so now we cut to another pretty funny joke, which is we get our first shot of Fred Ward, and my God, do I love how much denim this man is wearing? He is in <laughs> denim from toe to head, basically, mm -hmm. <laughs> and um. Yeah, this first shot's pretty funny. You think he's a rancher struggling with the horse or something, and the camera pulls back eventually, and he's wrestling an ostrich. Because <laughs> for some reason, he thought with his graboid money, he was going to make a fortune on an ostrich farm. I don't, I don't get that at all. <laughs> yeah, the ostriches are never explained and never come back. I just love the fact that, yeah, he's trying to lasso one in the beginning. Yeah. And um, so... When he, uh, at this point, Grady shows up, which is our Kevin Bacon replacement. Mm -hmm. Grady's outfit is so 90s. It's, he's wearing shorts with, they were called wife beaters back then, a white tank top with open shirt with black plastic fingertipless gloves. They look, they look almost like black latex with no fingers on them and a fedora. He looks like the douchiest douchebag of all time. He looks like he just watched John Favreau in, in Swingers. Oh, and, good one, yeah. Yeah, and wanted to model his life after that guy. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, so um, Grady is there, and Grady's brought along with him a guy who has a job opportunity for Earl. And we go inside Earl's house, and you see... Uh, Fred Ward has a shitload of ostrich eggs in his kitchen, which uh -huh. makes me like I remember the novelty of seeing an ostrich egg as a kid. So is he is he just trying to make his money just off the eggs? Like, is he selling the eggs to restaurants? Is he just selling the shell and is he eating the eggs? I have a lot of <laughs> ostrich business questions that are never answered. Maybe in the sequel, they'll they'll break down this ostrich business. And it doesn't uh, make any sense. Like, I don't know how anybody lives in perfection, the town from the first one, because there seems to be about 15 people who live in the town. <laughs> and, like, 
the one guy in the first one owned a uh, the convenience store, and there was like a, a tavern, and that's about it. I like, and uh, and the first one Earl did odd jobs. Yeah, it was basically his. He was a handyman. He, he and Val were just random handyman. Yes, putting up fences and that sort of shit. Yeah, I do wonder when you drive through, especially California. If you go through Central California or Northern California, you pass through a lot of tiny little desert towns where it's they almost seem like it's a ghost town, but they have a population of sixty people. And mm-hmm. just wonder what what is that life out there? You know, it, it, it right. fascinates me. Yeah, I think I mean we definitely have stuff like that in the Midwest where there's like a town consists of a church and a bar. And you're like, what What happens here? Uh, what goes on? You got Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and spirits. And spirits. <laughs> uh, so Fred Ward also has a playmate picture on his wall. And I don't want to be judgy, but if you have porn decorating the walls of your house, <laughs> I'm going to judge you a little bit. I'm sorry. A little bit. <laughs> And I know Playboy, you can argue if it's porn or not, but still, it's a naked woman. <laughs> oh, and, uh, Did you notice? Oh, go ahead, because I have something oh, on his wall did... I'm very excited to talk about. Oh, is it the ostrich pictures? No, what's the ostrich pictures? <laughs> that, like, on one wall, he's got all of his pictures of, like, from his brief 15 minutes of fame. And then this other wall, there's, at the top, the Playmate. And then underneath it, two pictures of ostriches. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's just, the, that, just the juxtaposition that cracks me up. other wall that you talk about, we find out that uh, Val and Earl, Fred Ward and Kevin Bacon, were both in a Reebok commercial after the, <laughs> after the first movie, which I love that. such like a dumb little detail, but I can just picture that Reebok commercial of them like pumping up their shoe before jumping away from a graboid or something. I, yeah. I love it. But Fred Ward has People Magazine on his wall. Val and Earl made the cover of People Magazine, <laughs> and the headline is Local Heroes Save the Town. It's not It's not two men discover ancient peak Cambrian monsters. No, it's just local heroes save the, save town. the town. The town. What town? It's that town. It's, it just really cracked me up. Like some art designer is just like, Oh shit! I have thirty seconds to design this. Okay, just whatever. <laughs> just get it printed. Right. What are they going to put in this national magazine? Local heroes save the town. <laughs> so we find out through this that Grady, the guy that has driven Grady, he has uh, basically that's like an oil field in Mexico that's been under attack by the graboids, and he's going to offer Earl fifty thousand dollars per graboid. Or a hundred thousand if they capture one alive, mm-hmm. and uh, that's enough to get Earl uh, on board. And so off we go, Grady and Earl, the new super team, on their way to Mexico, aka Valencia, California, <laughs> which is where this that's... this is was this was filmed in Valencia, I believe. Okay, um, but the uh, it's beautiful. I like the the this location is beautiful. Oh yeah. Uh, that first shot where they go into Mexico, 
It's really a stunning long-distance shot where you just get the truck down at the bottom of the frame, and it's just this wide-open mountain range, and California's in a severe drought right now. So I forget, like, oh my god, when it rains, this state is it's incredible. It's so much nicer than a fiery hellscape, which it may be, <laughs> once again, very soon. Very nervous about it, but whatever. Uh, uh, is this where they introduce the the running gag from the first one of them always playing rock, paper, scissors. Yes. This, this, this because Grady says, Oh, Hey, here's the last soda. Now there's no way in the script. That was a soda. That was, here's right. the last beer. And then someone was like, Oh, we can't have characters drinking and driving. Change it to a soda. It seems so obvious to me that that was supposed to be who's yeah. going to play rock, paper, scissors for who gets the last beer. Right. So uh, that just that was a weird little choice that kind of made me laugh. I also like that it is just a soda, like it's a generic soda, and that always cracks me up. Oh yeah. When it's, I love generic. You know, like when characters order, a, uh, I'll have a beer. Like, what kind of beer? What kind of soda do you want? I love generic movie props like that. They're the best. <laughs> so they get they get on site, and. They're talking with their, their contractor, and they meet one guy who is a worker on the oil fields. <laughs> I thought this was great. He says something like, Tienen suerte que no están comido por monstruos, or something. And basically it's, oh, good luck that you don't get eaten by the monsters. And there's, there's no <laughs> subtitles on it, so I had to rewind it to catch that line. But I thought that was really, really funny that that guy was so casual, just like, oh, good luck. Hope you don't get eaten by monsters. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we go inside the place, and this is where we meet um, Helen Shaver, who I think is really good in this movie. I think the three main act, well, the four main actors are actually, they all... Are having it's really fun their performances yeah and um and I, I she could have been like a real stick in the mud kind of character but she's really fun she's yeah because it's kind of that same thing where they play with in the first movie when you're introduced to the the college student um geologist and she has zinc yeah. all over her nose and you think that she's going to be the stick in the mud and it turns out that, nope, she's game to be wild and go on adventures. And it's it, right. it's kind of the same character again, but just older now. But I also think it's really cool that this movie has Fred Ward and Helen Shaver, who both look to be in their late 40s, mm -hmm. as love interests. Like, There's not many movies that cast older women, you know, these days, that are, or anything. I feel like the love interest would still somehow be like, a 28-year-old actress with old Fred Ward right. creeping around her, you know? This felt this felt right. much more natural. Uh, one thing I don't get is how she makes coffee. Did you pick this up? It, it's on, like, a Bunsen burner thing? Yeah, she has a glass pot of coffee, and then underneath it, it's one of those little propane things with a, with a burner attachment like you would use to boil water at a campsite. So is she yeah. just heating glass jar of coffee with fire like it, it, you can't make coffee like that none of it makes sense that that perplexed me yeah because it's not like it's a percolator no that she's heating up it's it's just a carafe it's just going to shatter this cup of this, this yeah it doesn't make sense at all yeah <laughs> but, 
It uh, cannot be good. Also, it's, it has to be sitting this, there all day. I forgot about this next part, but this was rewatching this movie. This is when I knew I was really in on this movie. Mm-hmm. Fred Ward walks in and Helen Shaver. I can't remember her character's name. She walks over to to get something out of a fridge or something. And Fred Ward checks out her ass and there's a shot of her ass in blue jeans. And it's like, yes. Oh, all right, movie. I get you. And then Fred Ward turns around to pick something up, and we see from his her perspective, it's a shot of his ass in blue jeans. Yes. And so they both check each other's asses out, and I was like, oh my god, that's so funny. That's so good. I haven't seen that really before. Like that's that's such a good joke. Yeah. Yeah, this movie, um who was it? SS Wilson? Yeah. Uh yeah, SS Wilson. <laughs> yeah, SS Wilson. Who only uh, directed this and Tremors 4 but he was the writer for Short Circuit, Short Circuit 2 Ghost Dad uh, <laughs> Wild Wild West this, yeah this guy has some wild writing credits um, he, he was a writer for Mask which feeds back into the Gorley and Rust uh, Discord and f- fan zone there he was uh, on what? Mask? Yeah, Mask, the, the cartoon series that uh, Gorley is obsessed with. I don't know what you're talking about. What? I don't know what Mask is. Yeah, he, he talks about the, the, the Matt Tracker um, uh, Halloween costumes back, I think, in the Halloween episodes. The name Matt uh, Tracker and... sounds familiar, but this yeah. this, this is all... Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, all I'm, I can only think of the Jim Carrey movie. (laughs) (laughs) No, Mobile Armored Strike Command. Mask. Command. It was. Is it Command with a K or is it Mask with with a a C? Yes, it's Command with a K. (laughs) And, uh, I remember I had some of those toys when I was a kid and they were like of a different scale than G.I. Joe's. So it was always difficult to like play mask because I never had enough of one particular toy to actually play like a good set of GI Joes. Like the GI Joes are always buddies with the Ninja Turtles yeah. so that they could, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> you could work them together. There's always a mix. And then once I got green army men, it was then like setting up all the green army men that were then waging war against one of the Jurassic park dinosaurs or something like that. Like, <laughs> there was always like a weird right, blend right. of two things, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so this next part, after we get the butt shots, uh, it's really funny. Grady, uh, it's like the next day or so, like Grady notices that uh, Earl has shaved his face. And I thought that was just yes. a, such a funny little thing of like, oh, this guy's into her. He's he, Fred Ward is going to look his best now for this woman. Yeah. I like the idea that like this town of perfection, all these people are kind of on the last rung of their lives <laughs> they were just living out there and as soon as you give them something to live for they're like okay and they clean up their act and it's not like a big dramatic scene it's just uh, he shaved yeah. and you, you can tell he's going to be on the straight and narrow you know, it's, it's funny because like i grow i often grow what i call depression beards and it's just when i uh-huh. go through a dark time oftentimes my beard will just get unwieldy and then when i'm finally ready to like <laughs> pick the pieces up and like pick myself up and carry on I, I trim the beard and everything, and I feel like a completely different person. But also, <laughs> when's the last time you have a big beard? When's the last time you were clean shaven, fully shaved face? 
Um, it's been about three years. I had a shaving accident. I had an electric trimmer with an adjustable guard and the guard was, uh, like not secured. I didn't like lock it in place and it collapsed. And so it went from like a three and a half down to a one basically. And at that point I just decided to shave it off. And what and, did your, uh, what did your fiance think of your clean shaven face? Oh, that was a rough time. <laughs> <laughs> and we went on uh, a trip like, it was literally the day before we went on this trip, and she was like, it's going to ruin the pictures from the trip because <laughs> like, your face is exposed. People all the time, I shave my face like once every 18 months or something, and I always get the weirdest reactions from friends. Um, one, it's always shock, and then that. But then people say like, oh, um, oh, yeah, the the beard suits you or something like that. Basically mm -hmm. uh, so many times when you shave your face, you get these really backhanded compliments that are basically like right. your face looks weird and it looks better with hair covering it. <laughs> but people don't realize yes. that's what they're saying to you. But I'm just like, okay, I guess, or like at you, I guess my face ruins photos if it's not completely concealed. Yes. Please hide as much of me as possible <laughs> behind this hairy mask. I know I'm a monster but... and you don't want to see any. <laughs> but it's funny because like, it, my, I went like five or six years once without clean shaving. It's from like 20 to yeah. 26 or something. And that was weird because my, I still had like a baby face kind of as 20 years old. And by the time I was 26 had kind of matured more. And it, right. it was real wild shaving and seeing that. It looks, I look weird every time I catch myself in the mirror. If I have a little bit of stubble, it's fine. But if I'm like Homer Simpson clean shape, that's how I feel when Homer looks at himself in the mirror and he's, he's right. he, there's no circle around his mouth. It just looks <laughs> wrong. I feel weird. I don't like it. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. At this point, I can't survive without it. Although when I do shave it down, like, because I've got a lot of gray in it, I wind up looking a lot younger when I when it's all shaven. Ah, I like my... I'm starting to get gray patches. I like them in the beard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel good about it. So, Grady and Earl are gonna go kill some Graboids. And uh, I really like this part. Um, Earl's kind of trying to teach Grady the rules of Graboids and also the audience. Mm -hmm. And Grady says something about, oh, can't you just hide on the mountains? And Earl goes... No, those are alluvial mountains. We can't hide on the. <laughs> so I love that Earl has taught himself geology in order to fight these right. things. That was just a really funny little, uh, little, little line, little throwaway line, basically. I like that somehow they, uh, Grady rigs up a noisemaker, which is just like a chain with a bunch of stuff hanging on it, to to lure the graboids, and they've got a seismograph television yeah that they install in the it's like truck a, it's like a fish finder yes <laughs> that's exactly what it is yeah it's a fish yeah. finder i love that yeah, somehow i they... love the noisemaker because it to me it, it looks like grady and earl just got married yes. <laughs> they're tracking cans behind their truck down the highway yep. <laughs> and so this starts and this is like as a kid I'm I I'm such a sucker for a montage, Josh. Uh, you can mm -hmm. if you show me a sequence of things happening set to music, 
especially if there's a progression. I I just montages melt my brain in the best way, and I just oh yeah, you, I I can be manipulated so easily with a montage, and this one is awesome because we start and we get it looks like a monster truck, and there's monster truck sounds <laughs> as this truck is coming over the hill. It looks like Bigfoot. And then we see it's just a little RV or RC car. I thought that yeah. was such a funny little little thing to put in the edit to put the monster truck sounds in just to fuck with the audience. Yeah, yeah. The way they shoot it, it looks like Bigfoot coming up over the the top of this hill, and then the reverse shot, and you see the little the little aerial for the RC thing uh, <laughs> waving in the wind, and it's just like a little. <laughs> it's great. And so this. This kicks off uh, the hunting, and um, so they, they're strapping sticks of dynamite that's remote-triggered to these RC cars and getting the graboids to eat them. And I love that Earl has a little umbrella to protect himself from all the gore yes. that rains down, because when they detonate these things, some of the explosions are these, like, orange slime bombs that, like, just this high, like, orange color is like spewing out and it's viscous and it's gross looking and there's chunks of like whale meat falling on them i love that fred ward is just holding this dainty little umbrella to protect himself and it's pink too it's a pink <laughs> umbrella and the uh that's exactly what it reminded me of though was that video of the people blowing up the whale carcass yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i know that's exactly what it makes me think of, of when they blow up the graboids yeah. yep <laughs> and so this is this is a part where we get a great montage, just some fun music and just so many explosions and everything is brightly lit in the daytime. And you can tell that mm -hmm. a bunch of the explosions are just charges set in dirt. They didn't even bother to put slime or anything on them, yeah. but it doesn't matter because I love it so much. This is so much fun just watching these dudes blowing shit up out there with RC cars. As a kid, this was like everything I wanted in a movie. That's... Uh, I was amazed because the song that they use uh, is Travis Tritt's T-R-O-U-B-L-E, uh, which was like a popular song at the time. Yeah. You know, it came out like... It's a, it's a, that... it's a good song choice for it. It's really fun. And that's yeah, the other thing it, about music like... in this movie as a whole. It's, it's kind of a Spanish acoustic guitar style. I think it works wonderfully. Uh, I love the I love yeah. the score of this movie. It's simple. It's pretty minimal, but it's not. It, it rarely gets into that like horror kind of music. It's a lot more right. Spanish flair. Yeah, the Travis Tritt song is like a real boot stomping kind of hooting and hollering yeah. uh, type of like rowdy uh, country rock song, and it's really fun. Uh, and it becomes a, a recurring joke in the movie when it comes back later as well. Yeah. Which is great. And um, it's right around this point um, that Grady leaves the radio on the ground. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was just a really funny moment when the graboid comes up and just grabs the radio and it's gone. And you just reminded, like, oh, yeah, don't leave anything anywhere. Um, but yeah. it's so fun. After this, we get beautiful magic hour shot where there's the truck is silhouetted on the hill and you just get the mm -hmm. hills behind them and the sky and I'll, I'll watch anything shot at magic hour but um 
there's there's some genuinely good technique and happening in this movie the production is really really good the the special effects are good as we'll see later the, the cgi is surprisingly good especially for 96 mm -hmm. like this movie held up a lot better than i thought it would have yeah and i had never heard of the cinematographer virgil l harper before um and i don't know that he did much of anything else well when you're on wikipedia and you see someone's name doesn't have a link they're just a black name yeah <laughs> they probably didn't do much other work oh he doesn't even have there's no link to uh, it it's just <laughs> oh virgil we hardly knew ye uh so at this point uh the truck we hear the music come back and this is really fun because all of a sudden, it's like in one of those Jurassic Park movies where one guy gets eaten and he has a cell phone in his pocket. And then later on in the movie, you hear the cell phone ringing. And it's like, oh shit, the dinosaur's back. Well, that's kind of what happens here with the Graboid as you hear the radio start to play again. And um, this is a really fun sequence when the, the Graboid grabs the, ch the chain of the truck. Yes. This is very it, it, much, this is like straight out of Jaws. It's a straight up homage yep. to Jaws of them getting pulled backwards through the land by this truck. But how cool does that chain effect look? How they, I don't know if they buried the chain under the ground and then let the grass grow over it, or I don't know how they got that buried chain effect. It looks so cool when you see the chain rippling out from underneath and getting pulled along the grass. Right. It, it just looks really yeah, cool it looks like that chain is like dug down into the ground and is getting dragged around by something underwater or underground. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's just really impressed by it. Um, it's just, well, and that's, I don't know if the same company did the, uh, those effects as the, um, the creatures. Um, but that was amalgamated designs who did like stuff from uh teen witch like they did f special effects on teen witch clear up to godzilla versus kong so like this um, company and this group of people are still amal working amalgamated together. dynamics yes trimmers alien three demolition man trimmers two alien resurrection starship troopers i mean yeah these guys were huge they're still going, but they were huge in the 90s. Yeah. Yes, they worked on X-Files. Yeah. But man, all of these Graboids, I know they used a lot from the first and I read that like, they had a couple of different styles of Graboids and then also later the Shriekers. But I thought it was just so cool how they used the different prosthetics and effects to... Mm -hmm whether it's a smaller shot with a model and you don't have a human in the shot with it, or then later you have, or earlier in the movie, you have that guy who's getting swallowed into the Graboid prosthetic. I think they just did a really great job of reusing them and figuring out fun ways to shoot around these things that, you know, like all monsters, when you actually see them in person and see them moving around, they usually look really janky and weird. And, you know, right. out of 10 shots that you take, you'll get three seconds that look legitimately cool and that's what gets edited into the movie uh, yeah that's the, the just the fact that like this the whole montage where they're actually hunting them you never see a graboid 
in the whole thing, it's all like the explosions and um, the the earth kind of humping up like they're traveling underneath it. Yeah. Which is another trick I don't know how they do. Like, it looks like the earth is undisturbed and then it like, you know, looks like a gopher or something. A giant gopher is going underneath it. Uh, and it works every time to sell the fact that there's like this giant worm underneath there. I don't know. I would imagine maybe there's some... I don't know, maybe some reverse shots it used to mm-hmm. to get that that I because it's easier to pull something out of the ground than to get it to go into just from right. a prop standpoint. But I don't. It's just really fun. And again, this being a movie from '96, um, there's a little bit more CGI, but most of the time you can tell this movie is ninety percent plus practical. And in, in camera, right. and it just it holds up so well because of that. So there's, no, so sorry, there's so many ADR jokes in this movie. There yes. are a million. Like <laughs> I don't know if they just didn't, they didn't film enough funny stuff, and they're like, oh shit, we we should probably put in some more jokes, and so they have the one where like Fred Ward's eating the MRE. And Grady tells him that he's eating the toilet paper in the MRE. And there's so <laughs> many ADR lines like that. It's it's really funny. So I have a question for you just about ADR in general. Um, yeah. That blew my mind just as a kid once I learned that a lot of times an actor's voice was not... It's not the performance that was filmed or recorded that day. Right. Um, that just kind of blew my mind. And so just thinking of like, how do you match, how do you get an actor to match emotion and then also to like get it synchronized properly with the lips and stuff. It just, the whole idea of ADR seems like such a headache to me. Yeah, it's uh, insane. And I've had to do it like remotely because when you work on independent projects, uh, you know, you pull people from all over the country and then you don't have the time or the the budget to like get them into the studio to do a proper ADR. So uh, on a couple of the films that I've worked on, we've like sent recorders to people with cuts of the film and just give them a voice recorder to get the best fidelity we could um, in a microphone and, you know, basically make them do their own podcast version of it and like, here, we looped the scene 15 times. Just do your best. Wow. And you just try to get them to do it, which that is rough because you don't know what you're getting back. Um, now we could actually, you know, with, with Zoom and stuff like, like what we use, we could actually direct them. Um, but the past 10 years, it's kind of been just up in the air as to how you actually do it and what you're actually going to yes, get. Uh, do you think it's getting easier now? Oh, definitely. The feature that we were just working on, um, we had people from from all over once again, uh, and they were able to to work with each other. Um, and the equipment is actually smaller and cheaper <laughs> and easier to work with. Uh, so we didn't have to have like a sound person running it or anything. And still got, you know, for this last one, for Andrew's movie we did, um, I don't it's hard to tell when you use the ADR. I'm actually really impressed with what oh, they that's did. That's awesome. It's it's yeah. something that ADR is rarely shown in movies about movies. 
whenever you watch a movie mm -hmm. about a movie being made, I don't, I can't really recall maybe in like Barbarian Sound Studio or a movie like that, but there's really not many scenes of ADR or Foley work for that matter. No. And so it's it's kind of like a hidden That's... secret of movies that doesn't get mentioned very often. Um, have you seen uh, the Albert Brooks movie Modern Romance? So I, is, is, the, is there a Foley artist in that movie? Because I yes. remember, I think my parents might have watched it because I do just remember like watching a scene where a guy is matching footsteps on tile and he's in heels or something. I don't remember. But seeing that yeah. as a kid was like, oh, holy shit. Like, not everything is from camera. And then especially like when I was in high school and took a film class and we're just shooting on mini DV tapes, we never yep. recorded ADR. We just used the awful sound that was coming off of the onboard microphone. And thinking back on it now, it's like right. it would be so easy to to clean up all of that sound and just re record some new stuff, basically, you know? Yeah, that's... Did you... Um, have you read Robert Rodriguez's Rebel Without a Crew? No. Or watched any of the documentary no. stuff on it? Um, when he shot his first movie, which, you know, once it got picked up, they actually put more money into it in post. But when they were shooting... Um, his camera was too loud to record sound even. So he actually had the actors redo the entire scene right afterwards. So they would do a pass for the camera, then a pass for the audio. Wow. Uh, wow. Yeah. Was that um, uh, the guitar player movie? Not Desperado, but before that. Yes. Yep. El, El Mariachi. Mariachi. Yeah. Um, I remember liking... Mariachi and Desperado as a kid. Yeah, he's uh, really inventive with his his action scenes, and especially what he did on El Mariachi. Like, there's stuff that they probably shouldn't have done with, with like putting squibs on people, uh, and it was just kind of like some guys who from around town, not experts or anything, and all the guys wound up with bruises on their chests because because the squibs were too powerful. Oh, yeah. Well. I've learned a lot about squibs recently, and yeah, you, you got to have some kind of plate to to disperse the force. Yeah, you know, so that you're taking more of a, a wide punch than one singular point of impact. Uh, yeah, yep. squibs are terrifying. Just running around with explosive charges strapped to your chest, uh, scary. <laughs> and speaking of scary, after the truck gets dragged around, it ends up being slammed against mm -hmm. a rock. And our heroes are trapped on a rock with no communication, and it's nightfall. It's one of the few times this movie goes to nighttime. And so they're mm -hmm. hanging out, and the worm starts making some weird sounds that's hanging out over there. And uh, so they go up to investigate, and... Oh, that has... That's... They call Bert oh, first. Bert. Okay. Yeah. Because the, the first time they get, they do the same kind of gag twice, basically, of them getting the truck stuck that's, on a rock. That's, I'm conflating, the, I'm combining them into one. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Because uh, the first time they see, like, there's a dozen more Graboids, and uh, they've already killed, I think, a dozen of them, at least, because the guys are each, 
going to walk away with $300,000 at this point. Yeah. Uh, so your, that's your math checks doesn't... out. <laughs> okay. Thank you. <laughs> and, uh, when he sees all the other graboids, Earl decides to call Bert. And this is where we see him drinking the, drinking his shitty yeah. beer and watching war movies. And that's where we get uh, Michael gross and Michael gross. Is... Yes. This was the last movie Fred Ward, not the last movie Fred Ward was in, the last Tremors that Fred Ward was in. And um, Michael Gross really throws the entire franchise on his shoulders after this and carries the entire thing. And it's it's really great to see. I mean, obviously, if you're an actor, especially like him, where you're not maybe the best known actor or the most successful the mm-hmm. fact that you can keep going back to the same franchise and know that the fans are going to love you for it. I mean, why, why not, right. man? It's kind of like we talked about earlier. Would you, can you put away your ideas of being truly famous and just be happy to be in cult films or, you know, to be in these things that have been watched for decades. And I, I see, he seems right. like the kind of guy that, uh, seems perfectly content to just, can continually play Burt Gummer over and over and over again. Good for him. Yeah, because he's been in, at this point, seven Tremors movies. A new one just came out not too long ago. Uh, and the series from, I don't remember if it was originally on Sci-Fi or originally on G4, uh, but the a cable network series of Tremors that they ran in the early 2000s. Really? I didn't know. I... I keep hearing Kevin Bacon. Oh, Kevin Bacon says Tremors series may happen and stuff. And I, yeah, I don't know. I never read about Fred Ward. Why doesn't someone go ask Fred Ward, who's seventy-eight <laughs> years old or something, if he wants to go one more time? Can I just say also, Fred Ward, or... Remo Williams is another movie that we've talked about. That's just like it's on this level of these movies where it's it's not the best movie. But I love it so much. And I think yes. it's just Fred Ward is really charismatic and funny and grizzly or grizzled, but but he's he's a tough guy, but he doesn't act tough. I, I can't quite explain it, but he's just he's just genuinely funny. I I always enjoy his performances. That's uh I've seen a lot of people recently bemoaning the the death of like an actual movie star quality that we don't have, you know, like Clooney and Julia Roberts were kind of the last era of true movie stars with that level of class and sophistication and just charisma. Uh, But I also see it across like character actors. I don't know that we have character actors that are doing the same things as, you know, what a Fred Ward would do. Or even what a Michael Gross would do. They don't have that kind of same mystique about them. That's, you know, that's true because we do, we have character actors, but I'm thinking of guys like Shea Wiggum is one who I recently did a bit of a deep dive on. Because I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. this guy is in everything and he's always great in it. But none of the stuff that he's in is particularly weird. He's not. Right. Or he might have done one horror movie where there's splinters that come out of you i think it was called splinter 
and people are trapped in a gas station, if I'm remembering that correctly. But, um, yeah, I think you're right. I, there's also just, I wonder with the amount of movies that are coming out these days and the amount of just content we have in general, if it's even possible to have mm -hmm. a movie star like a Tom Cruise or someone anymore because there's just the focus is so spread out nowadays that I'm just not quite sure if right. it's kind of like the same thing of when there was just three network TV shows and that was they all you you had three networks and that's all you watched yes so um it's not like now where uh every channel every uh, streaming service is offering up its own i mean if we want to watch two or three shows in a night we bounce between different apps you know we watch hbo max and then we watch something on hulu and we watch an original on netflix it's like all all over the place yeah absolutely and they all they each have their own i mean um even something like uh midnight pulp has exclusive content I'm like that's a, a free app that nobody watches. How do you how do you have any exclusive I content? I don't made? understand how some of these things continue to exist, especially like the random tiny shows on HGT, HGTV or things like that. I it just yeah. blows my mind. It, it, think about just like right now in the country, how many different shows are there just about people trying to find deals on cheap shit at auctions or pawn shops or whatever there's right there's probably 1500 people right now in the country across the country just filming those kinds of shows alone yeah it's utterly insane to me the uh i guess right after the the golden age of television which i guess is considered you know mad men sopranos ending um breaking bad uh kind of how splintered everything became and you know movie wise we all watch except for you the same four marvel movies every year uh but television show wise it is there's shit all over the place there's and i know i'm not the first one but there's too much there's too much stuff there's too much it's, content it's wild i'm just gonna also, say it. i saw a preview for black widow it it looked yeah it doesn't look good <laughs> it looks like a G.I. Joe movie. Not my cup of tea, baby. I don't mind the Marvel stuff. Just, I just don't like it. I don't know. I, I, I feel just, I feel like they just all run that like five out of ten line for me. It just, it's not a movie. Yeah, I that can I, see that. I, I just don't feel much of anything about it either way. But I am very happy for. God, like all the people who are huge fans of it and have been reading these comic books for their whole lives, like, to have 47 yeah. movies and 80 TV shows about your favorite thing, that must be awesome. You know? Right. So, so I, I, don't, I don't bemoan it. I don't hate on it. Just not for me, you know? Um, all right, let's get back to this movie. That was a tangent and a half. <laughs> so, Bert shows up. And he's like, oh, you guys only got dynamite. The Federale said I could ask for anything that I wanted. And so he held like an elephant right. gun and plastic explosives and all sorts of crazy shit. I love it. 
in in in, in the most basic yeah. Atlanta Hawks hat you've ever seen. <laughs> yes, it just it's says just Atlanta a Hawks hat on it, right? With red Atlanta Hawks, that's it. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah, we go back to hunting again. And um, yeah, this is where they they get dragged again and get stuck again, correct? Yeah, they're uh one of the creatures like goes away from them for once. Like the graboids always come towards them when they run the noisemaker, but this one is running away from them and somehow tricks them uh and they get their truck stuff stuck like kind of halfway down uh the rock face of a cliff. Yeah. And um this is where yeah, the, the but the worms just hanging out over the the over the crest. Yeah, it does. It doesn't leave, and it doesn't try to attack uh, them or anything. So they're just hanging out. I, I love just them just hanging out. A, a lot of the Tremors movies are just people hanging out on top of objects. So <laughs> we got yeah. nothing better to do, so we might as well make some small talk. Yeah, that's kind of a lot of these movies, right. <laughs> but I like it. <laughs> and um, uh, so this part's really funny. I, something about Grady decides to test his metal. So he scampers over the hill and slaps the graboid on the on the nose, yeah. basically, and then runs back over. He's like, "See, it's fine." Yeah. And um, yeah, this is the part where they they go back and they try to get some sleep, and then the something happens, and the graboid's making weird noises, and then you go and you see the body, and it's just open, like the entire side of it has been open, and it's just an empty cavity full of like stretchy rubbery appendages and orange slime and blood and it just it's so gross and slimy it's great that's it looks like something hollowed out the side of the graboid which like i don't in the first one you see one above ground and this is like the first one here i think that you really see above ground uh and then yeah it's like just this massive cavity. And for some reason, Earl is immediately like, Oh, something hatched out of it. Like a chrysalis, like a, like a butterfly with a chrysalis. You're like, okay, how, why is that the assumption that you come to? That something like ate its way out from inside of this he's, thing. He's the grab. He's, he's exactly he right. He knows, man. He knows. Yeah. Um, yeah, he is exactly right. So, um, is this where we, uh, is this where Pedro's truck, comes into play yeah yep they, yeah. they so start pedro, going towards pedro 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 to got rescue their radio call and he's gonna come rescue them and they see him about three quarters of a mile away or something and then all of a sudden pedro's truck stops and so they decide that in again one of the few night scenes uh, they'll keep the motion sensor on them they know it's safe and so they're gonna go check out the truck and this is where we <laughs> get a real Jurassic Parky mo moment. Jurassic Park was '93, I believe. <laughs> so they see Pedro's hands on the truck, and they're like, "Oh, Pedro, what are you doing up there?" And they walk around the back of the truck, and it's just his forearms, both severed at the elbow, <laughs> but his hands are still holding on to the edge of the truck, and it's just like Samuel L. <laughs> Jackson in uh, in Jurassic Park. Which is always the weirdest yeah. moment in Jurassic Park, that Samuel L. Jackson's arm falling on her shoulder, that never really made sense to me. How was Samuel L. Jackson's arm 
like in that closet and then it falls on uh what's her face oh god i'm blanking on her name in that movie dern laura dern falls on her shoulder laura dern, it's, yeah. just, it's a real goofy moment yeah um, but i love at this point fred ward is so panicked and he's like Oh, it's a whole new ball game, and you just like Fred Ward's so yeah. funny, panicked in this because he's he's not really a brave guy, as we see. It. He thinks on his feet well, but I wouldn't say he's the most courageous guy. He just he's just clever when it comes to saving his own life or his friends' lives. Yeah, that's in the first one. He's um, kind of hapless, and him and Val keep like stumbling over each other, and in this one they play with that. Like he's kind of the hero in the beginning. And then as it goes further on, like he does the right thing in the right moment, but he's never like super brave. Dude. So have we been introduced yet to the new, have we seen any of the new monsters yet? This is where they show up. Like when they're, uh, Bert is driving back because no one is, is responding is, on the radio. Is it when Bert, Bert is driving Bert's back. the first one to see them? Because Bert, Bert yeah, gets attacked. It, yeah, it, okay, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it does this thing where he's surrounded by him. Like, he looks up and he starts shining his flashlight around and you start seeing him. You don't see him really well at first. Um, but then yeah. it just cuts to black. And then we get... Like, you hear him shriek and it cuts to is, black. This next scene really makes me laugh. So we're back at the main home base and it's daytime again and we got uh helen shaver hanging out and her buddy who works there pops his head in through the window like a kid you like a kid would do like you go to your friend's house and yes. your friend is playing video games in his bedroom and so you just like lean your torso like in through his window it's the most awkward looking thing and so he's standing there talking to her and then all of a sudden he's just <laughs> and he grabbing onto her and it's so goofy looking and we see that one of the sh i think they're called shriekers the the new the little yeah. tiny dinosaurs that run around on two legs we see that it's bitten off his leg at the knee and he's he's holding on to her and like just the guy's doing such a campy death it's so awesome as he's dragged away uh, out into the as he gets dragged um out of the window and so uh, she shuts down and then um earl and val or not val earl and grady show up yeah grady and uh, this is where earl shoots one that's standing like on the hood of a car and it explodes in like a ball of orange slime yes. it's like uh, it's so satisfying <laughs> i don't know what recipe they used for their orange slime but when that stuff explodes and it maintains its viscosity and like spreads out. it just looks so good it just looks yeah. so good um and then this uh, this like, next scene is the most famous one go ahead see, i like um somewhere in here the uh earl grady and helen, helen thank you uh what's her name katie uh, well oh sorry i don't remember her name no kate kate, kate. kate yeah, is her name in the movie yeah. helen's her real name um, the, like somehow they figure out that three shriekers come from each graboid. I don't know where they do their math from, but it's just like, suddenly they know this. So there's like, well, there was, we saw eight graboids 
And so now there's 24 yeah. shriekers and left. I love it because it's... Eight or nine. I was like, okay. I don't think anywhere in nature is there predetermined litter sizes like that. It's like when you right. have a dog or a cat or whatever, sometimes you get six, sometimes you get three. I, I, <laughs> but I do like that they're just like, <laughs> no, this is the formula. You multiply the worm times three and then you get that many shriekers. <laughs> so Bert shows up after we all think Bert is dead. And rolls in, and his yep. truck looks like the Poltergeist 2 car at the end of it. It's torn <laughs> yes. to pieces. It's so great. And Bert gets out, and he has two wonderful lines here. The first is, I am completely out of ammo. And then he sinks down <laughs> and has this bewildered look in his aim. That's never happened before. <laughs> and the other sign... <laughs> The other line that I think Michael Gross just nails as he goes when they're talking like, oh, yeah, there's like there's shriekers now or whatever. And he goes, Bert goes, I feel I was denied critical need to know information. <laughs> it's just he's so pissed off. It's so funny, man. Oh. So he goes. That's I love he's covered in he is covered in gore, his truck is covered in gore. Like he looks like he came out of the Nickelodeon <laughs> yes. slime factory or whatever. He's everyone, just everyone head to toe with this goop. movie and it's awesome. And um So let's see here. At this point they this is when they go is this where they figure out that they're heat sensing, or was that right before this? It, okay. Yeah, it's right after that they figure out that they they or they're attracted to body heat. And let's um, let's talk about the design of the shrieker. The cr- they are so cool yeah. looking. They have two that are fully articulated and required like fourteen people at a time to to animate them, the puppetry. And my uh-huh. god, they look so cool. They're like tiny little two legged dinosaur dogs, and then that heat sensor trap that pops up from their the top of their head. I, don't, I, I think this is such yeah. cool design, and it's just unbelievable, the practical effects, but a couple times in this movie, we'll see them, whenever they're shown running, or climbing, or jumping, or stuff, it's CGI. It looks really, really good. I, I'm really shocked that it doesn't take me out of this movie more when you get the CGI bits in it. That's the design of them... Uh, do you remember the Mousers from Ninja Turtles? Yeah. The Mouser mm, robots? I'm sure I w- How do you... Sp- M-O-U-S-E-R? Yep. Like, they're these two-legged robot creatures that... I don't remember who... who Why they came into the, the TMNT oh, mythos. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Wow, whoa, whoa. That's what they look 100%. like to me. 100%. And I'm, I'm not sure if I've seen Mousers in... Must be in one of the video games. You have to fight them. Uh, one of the, like, the beat-em-up yeah. Ninja Turtle games. Yeah, you are spot on. That yep. is that is so accurate. Yeah, so... If you don't know what a Shrieker looks like, <laughs> think of a Mouser. If you don't know what a Mouser looks like, think of a Shrieker, <laughs> but metal. Well said. Something about when they're they're testing to see if it has um, if it can see normal things or if it's only heat, and they hold up the broom when they're hiding behind the desk. And they hold up a broom, 
And then they, they do this funny yeah. motion where they bounce the broom back and forth. Like the broom is walking around in the room. <laughs> I don't know why, right. but that really makes me laugh. <laughs> it just, it looks so silly. And then they stick the hand in the air and the monster goes crazy. I love the monster noises in this. Mm-hmm. Oh, and we also find out that uh, at this point, doesn't it, Grady throws it some like dehydrated ice cream or something. And we we find out if they yeah, something... eat, they go crazy. It's like gremlins. Yeah, Bert brought all these uh, MREs that he had stocked up, and uh, Grady throws part of it to the to the shrieker, which first of all attacks it, but then secondly starts like it's gonna vomit, like it starts horking up something, uh, which turns out to be another shrieker. That's how they can reproduce at this stage is they I vomit each it other. I was going to vomit Craig T. Nelson up and then Craig T. Nelson was going to vomit uh, <laughs> ghost up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, these, the, uh, these creatures, man, exponentially growing. It's, <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. And the, the scientist, uh, Helen uh, character says that they reproduce hermaphroditically. Like, I love that people just figure shit out in this movie. How many? Three come out of each worm. How do they reproduce what do they hermaphroditically? See? Heat. <laughs> Heat. Yep. That's true. There's no, there's no questioning. It's just this movie is just pedal to the metal. Just go. Just go forward and keep it fun. If yep. you're stopping to ask questions, you're doing it wrong, basically. <laughs> yeah. They're like, what information does the audience need right now? Well, suddenly the characters know it too, and we're just going to move forward with it. And it's uh, great. So, is this a bunch of them show up now, and they need to get to the yeah. car. And uh, this part, the part where they're running with hiding behind the doors, also just really makes me laugh because yeah. that image of just unattached doors running through the desert <laughs> with people hiding behind them. It's just really, really goofy. The When they run, they're going to run for the car, but then there's shriekers to that side, so they run inside the other building, and then it pulls back to reveal that it's only one wall of the building has been built. <laughs> that was, that, <laughs> that a, camera pullback was so funny, because it's zoomed in real tight on that door, and then as soon as they, oh yep. shit, it's like a fast pullback. It's, uh, <laughs> it's Again, man, there, there's a lot of artistry with the edit and the camera movements that it's better than oh, I yeah. thought it should be. Um, and so this is where Bert gets his fucking elephant gun out and shoots it. And it goes through the shriekers. It also goes through a concrete wall, uh, some wood, and eventually the engine block of the car that they're trying to get out from. Yeah. There's oil barrels... Uh, in outhouse, <laughs> like they follow the line of the bullet as it goes this, through was everything. This also, in real genius, is there a moment like this or my? Yeah, the oh, laser yeah, shoots the, the through laser, like the goes statue and some other stuff. It's like the only scene yeah. from that movie I can remember. I don't think I've actually seen that movie aside from that laser scene. I know people love oh, it. Really? I know I get this. That, people yell at me all the time when I tell yeah. them I haven't seen it. Although it'd be interesting, because I don't know if it would hold up if you don't have, like, a nostalgia for it. Early Val Kilmer, pretty goddamn charismatic. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, this is now basically everyone gets split up. We got Grady on the water tower. Bert gets stuck in the the shovel of a tractor, and Helen and Fred Ward end up on the other roof. And this is like one of the few times the movie slows down at all. And it's not mm-hmm. it's not much, but I, it, I like this scene actually, especially between Fred Ward. Bert's funny hiding inside the thing with all the shriekers around him and uh but i actually really like helen and fred ward's scene together their conversation yeah oh is this where he figures out who she is so first okay he's kind of like so you dating anyone and just I, I don't know, I just like that these two characters have been kind of flirty, but it's ridiculous. They can't flirt during this time, but now they're trapped here just waiting for help, what they think. And so uh, they start basically just flirting, and Helen's like, oh, he says something about her being trapped. She's like, oh, well, I, I did make my living of being a model. And this is the part that's hilarious and also really creepy, because Fred Ward goes... Playboy October 79? <laughs> oh, don't trust a man who has Playboy dates memorized. That's icky. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, but then just like the odds that of all the Playboy playmates in the world that he could have posted on his wall, it's that one. Right. And then she does the same pose for him on the roof. It's it's really funny. It's goofy. It's, it's dumb. It's whatever. And that's... Uh, earlier, it was he explained that he had it to remind him to never reach for things that you're not going to have in your life or something like that. And then so he meets her here. Oh, that's, and, yeah, that's good. It all I, comes full really, circle. I don't think I picked up on that line. That... Yeah, he told he tells Grady that oh, earlier. And so this is um, this is a great part where now they're trying to figure out what to do and Bert comes up with a plan and uh I don't remember what the diversion is that to give Bert the space to to run he this is, is where this he where runs into the garage Earl... oh because Earl oh. first he Earl makes a that's it soaks that's a jumpsuit it. Yeah, yeah. in hot water and puts it on a clothesline and shimmies it across and the shriekers all run for that and then uh, the Shriekers all, or What's-Its, Earl calls them What's-Its, <laughs> which is pretty good. Uh, they're all wind up on top of the oil tanks where Grady was. Oh, and they're, uh, yeah, they're climbing each other. And then, yeah, yes. Uh, and that's when Bert r- jumps out of the thing and runs into the garage and traps which a bunch of them I in love there. how simple he traps them. There's two doors in this garage. So he runs out the back door and then runs around and closes the front door. <laughs> but this moment yep. right here, after that, when he's like, problem solved! And then, like, the four of them yeah. like, high-fiving each other and like, way to go, Bert! And so it's just so goofy and there's, like, there's so much camaraderie there between the four of them. And it's just, it's like the happiest, mm-hmm. funniest moment. <laughs> and they immediately are like, wait, Bert, Where's your truck? He's like, oh, it's in there. And all the MREs are in there, too. And they're immediately like, Bert, you fucking moron. How could you do that? <laughs> <laughs> so now all the Shriekers are eating. 
hundreds of pounds of MREs, and I love everyone goes, rice flour? <laughs> right. <laughs> they all start eating and puking yeah. up baby shriekers. Yeah. <laughs> Inside and so there, now just this multiplying. is really fun. This is where Fred Ward gets again outside the box thinking. He uh, tells them to spray him with a CO2 fire extinguisher. <laughs> with a fire and extinguisher. And he takes Grady's jacket, and Grady wants to be the one to go in. And so once again, they play rock, paper, scissors, but this time Grady wins. <laughs> Fred Ward tells him, uh, Rock rips through paper. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so. Uh, this scene also, this is another scene that's just, like, burned in my mind of a kid. It was just, like, Fred Ward in full denim with a jacket wrapped around his head. So he just has this little hole that he's looking out of with his arms in a T-pose being sprayed by CO2 and, and walking around frosty uh -huh. and stuff. Again, it just, it's so simple, but it's really clever and goofy and fun. And so he goes in, and uh, Fred Ward decides he's going to set a bomb in the truck. Yeah, he's creeping through, and like he's kind of stepping around all of them. And the the timer of this is the CO two is melting off of him, and you keep seeing um, it's like Terminator vision kind of a thing that they do from the Shrieker's point of view of seeing the body heat. So like you see him, and he's all blue because they can't actually see him. And then as the CO2 starts melting off of him, different parts of him turn yellow and red and starts alerting them as he it's goes to cool get this bomb. Yeah, I read a little bit how it was done. They got the actors to wear yellow or something, and then they, they shot it through a filter and then downgraded it to get it more of like that fuzzy look and more of a grainy look and stuff. So again, <laughs> it's another thing that they had to do in camera. Say, I'm sure. I'm sure that they figured right. that out on Predator, probably like that. Whatever that technology was, or whatever that camera trick was, that's probably where they really figured it out. But it looks great, honestly. Yeah. And uh, go ahead. The um, I was gonna say the the CGI was different from the practical. The practical was handled by that amalgamated dynamics. The CGI was handled by. Tippett Studio, which is named after Phil Tippett, uh, who everybody should know because he was the dinosaur supervisor in Jurassic Park. So he was the subject of the meme that went around that said, God damn it, Phil, you had one job because <laughs> he was supposed to supervise the dinosaurs. He was he did the CGI on Jurassic Park. I need to see that meme. Yes, I don't I don't remember that one. Yeah, there's because uh, it says his credit and it says oh. dinosaur supervisor. <laughs> I I get the joke now. That's fair. <laughs> That's really yep. funny. God damn it, Philip, do your job and nobody would have died. <laughs> uh, yep. So Fred Ward's melting and he just pushes some numbers into some timer and throws it in the truck and um, <laughs> does an awesome light fixture swing like a pirate across the room. And, yes. Um, Meanwhile, Grady has Earl or has Bert cut the fire hose, and so he throws the line down, and they're pulling Fred Ward up out of here. And we are at the very end of the movie now. I was impressed with the amount of um, like suspense that they got out of the whole sequence of like 
trying to get him out well, of the garage. I, like, I really like that the fire hose is too short, so Grady's running with the hose, and the hose runs out, and it like yanks his whole body back, and he eats <laughs> shit and falls. He's like, I need more slack, you know? Um, yep. Yeah. That reminds me of when I, one time I had my sister's golden retriever and I threw a ball for him and I was sitting in a chair and he was on a retractable leash and I just didn't do the math thinking of what would happen when the dog sprinted and got to the end of the leash. And so I was still holding it and all of a sudden uh -huh. that line went taut and I, the dog yanked me five feet out of the chair and I pulled my arm out of the socket. I was 13 <laughs> years old with like a, my arm was tingling. I was like, oh, that was... That was dumb. <laughs> um, so yeah, they get burnt out, and this part's awesome. Mike, uh, or excuse me, they get Earl out, and Bert's like, "Well, what what'd you do?" How he's like, "I I set a bomb." He's like, "You set a bomb?" He's like, "Yeah, I threw it in your truck." He's like, "There's two tons of like, explosives in there." He's like, "Are you saying that's not enough?" And Bert's like. Not an You're right. Run, run, just run. That's <laughs> so I love Bert's panic of like, oh fuck, 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 fuck. We gotta go now. You're right. And so they run, and Grady, Earl, and, and Helen, they stop right on the edge of uh, on the other side of a building. And Bert's like, no, keep going. <laughs> and they just keep saying, it's gonna be big. It's gonna be big. <laughs> And they so they lie down in the ditch, and Grady doesn't believe Bert, and Grady gets blasted through the air, and the shack next to him gets destroyed. It's a pretty great explosion. You don't really see much of the explosion itself, but the aftermath of it's awesome. Yeah, it just keeps the shit keeps running yeah, down again, around them, again, the pieces it, of the building and the again, chunks yeah, it's of the whale shriekers. explosion video. I liked. Uh, Earlier, I think when Bert first shows up and he's talking about the high explosives and Grady asks him, what, is there such a thing as low explosives? <laughs> Great, yeah, <laughs> Grady's a real shit, but him. he's fun. You know? Uh, yeah. I think he was, for being a direct-to-video sequel, I think they did a good job of giving some Fred Ward somebody younger to bounce off of without it being just a copy of Kevin Bacon. Um, right. He d he does totally date oh, the movie though. Grady? With oh, absolutely. No, Grady yes. screams nineteen ninety six very loudly. Yeah, he's he's wearing a bucket hat and a but like a bowling shirt and those fingerless gloves. He, he kind of has a Matthew Lillard kind of inflection in his voice. <laughs> you know, it's like just. Especially, so we see an awesome map painting at the very end of this movie, which just shows a crater the size. <laughs> it looks like an asteroid landed near the, <laughs> the crater yes. that they blew up. And, um, and then Grady, what does Grady say? He says something about, uh, oh, Earl, you could open like a, a, a theme park. This could be your big third chance. <laughs> that's the, the, yeah. the, that line delivery stuck with me. That's the last line of the movie. Uh, but yeah, I'm, you know, <laughs> Earl and Kate decide to 
be a couple. I think they're good. I think they're gonna last. I think if a couple goes through something like that and still maintains their sense of humor as they did, I think they're they're <laughs> they're in for the long haul. Those two. That's my note from like every time that they uh, interact is Grady and Kate flirt or uh, Earl and Kate flirt because every time they talk, they start flirting. They, no, they cannot they help it. It's, it's great. And it's, it's consistent too, right off the beginning. It's that double butt shot. It establishes everything. <laughs> yes. And I, I, yeah, I like that. She's like into yeah, him as much as he is, is into I, her. I, I didn't want this to be a one way creep show. So I'm really happy that, yeah, it, it was very mutual. Right. Their pursuit of each other. And, and yeah, the movie ends with that awesome Spanish guitar score, and this movie just makes me fucking happy. I love it so much. It's it's <laughs> not like we said at the start of this episode, these movies aren't great. But there's something about them, I think especially if you see them at a young age, that it's just it's they're both very endearing, I think. And I think they're both mm-hmm. made really genuinely some uh, neither of these feels too much like a cash grab or anything they both feel like the actors were into it the the production was into it right um, i mean the script for poltergeist 2 is a bit weird i don't uh, kane was kind of a weird choice but whatever it, it's still really yeah. fun i don't know how else you could do poltergeist 2 without creating some kind of antagonist that's that's perceivable because that's the whole thing like in the first one yeah that there's no real to follow the monster monster in the first poltergeist is just an entity so right that's uh you know and it changes from the house is haunted to the family is haunted which is um something i've seen done since then of you know it's not the house it's the kid Who's being haunted? Paranormal kind of activity a, kind of a did trick. it. Um, tons of stuff have done it. Actually. Yes, I'm blanking off the top of my head. Sinister, sinister probably did it. Um, I don't remember sinister. But... One of the um, little trivia bites that I liked is the fact that uh, Christopher Garton, who plays Grady, has been in two Darren Aronofsky movies. At his. Um, his filmography but i don't i didn't look up i saw he was in them but i didn't look up because he's in black swan oh sexy yes, waiter as scott. a sexy waiter oh my god i didn't notice that's his credit sexy waiter scott in black All right. yeah well i wanted to watch rewatch black swan and he's he's in mother as an adulterer <clears throat> yeah which you know, uh, once the the third act of Mother kicks in, or the the last third, I don't know if it really has acts Did, as such. But I don't know who all was in that movie because so it goes once it gets going. Um, yeah, he was in Flight Plan. I probably saw that at some point. I don't. I don't remember it though. Jodie Foster movie. I think her. It's not like her Flight Plan was. I remember it being plane. fun. Yep, it's um, uh, Lady on the Train, but What's it's lady on the Kid train? in a Plane. What's Lady on the Train? The Lady Vanishes. 
The Lady Vanishes. It's um Alfred Hitchcock movie. Uh, I I believe you're talking about vanishes. strangers on a train and nobody vanishes. <laughs> that also I didn't know is Hitchcock a great movie. was such a train guy. <laughs> oh yeah, he loved trains. Well, speaking of loving things, I give Tremors two a four out of five. I think it's great. Four out of five. I That's pretty big. Stand by it a hundred percent. And now, granted, nostalgia is a glue that holds things very strongly for me sometimes. But I yes. had so much fun watching this. I was laughing. I had a smile on my face. The pacing's great. The effects are great. Fred Ward is one of my like icons, apparently, that I'm just learning now, like later in my life, how much I love Fred Ward because I can't stop talking about him, apparently. So, <laughs> um, just, I love it, man. Four out of five. I stand behind it. So I gave the first Tremors four out of five. Tremors two, I give three out of five. Because it is a downgrade from how goofy the first one is, and I don't have that like nostalgic love for it. Uh, but I think it, the viewing was both helped and hurt probably by watching the the first oh, one right beforehand. I, I think you're better off having watched the first one. I've seen the first one many, many yeah. times that it, it didn't feel it necessary to rewatch it. Yeah. The, the, the vibe of early Kevin Bacon, like, I like Grady, but he just can't, you know, no, replicate no, that no. same that guy's, no, that guy's definitely partnership no that they had. Um, so, so Josh, <laughs> I just actor, have a question no for you. Bacon. Do you think Kevin Bacon made a good decision to act in Apollo 13 as opposed to this movie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like that was a strong choice. I mean, well, I was reading that basically Kevin Bacon joining Apollo 13 really changed the track of this movie because it, it cut a lot of the budget because mm -hmm. before when they were when they were trying to get Kevin Bacon and Reba McIntyre back, they were this went direct to video. And this actually this movie actually got a ton of praise from reviewers for being um, top tier direct to video release. Basically, people said that the reviewers said, like, this mm -hmm. is as good as it gets for a movie that does not get a theatrical release. And at the time, I think that's very true, right. because if you watch some of those direct-to-videos back in the mid-90s, whoo, boy, they're rough. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, S.S. Wilson, you are a wonderful boat, and I wish you smooth sailing. That's, I'm surprised that uh, Stephen Seth Wilson has not directed more. Yeah, I don't. We need to get him on the podcast. We must be able to get S.S. Wilson on the podcast, okay. right? I mean, who else could be asking for him? It's He hasn't done anything since 2004, he's, it looks like. So. <laughs> also, I have no yes. idea how old this man is. <laughs> He might he might be in his eighties. I, <laughs> I love if you go to his Wikipedia, the first thing on there is for the steamship Wilson. <laughs> CSS Wilson. <laughs> yes.
Ow. Ow. My ribs are hurting again. Ow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm losing it, so you have to end the episode. <laughs> All right. As always, we don't know what we're going to do next time yet. And uh, thank Bye. you for listening. Wilson. <laughs> Steamship Wilson. Oh, that made me so happy. Oh my god. Oh my god, it's so fucking hot in this room. <laughs> <laughs>